You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since Welcome to the GGTMC. We are back. My voice is low. Yeah. And uh, we're ready to rock and roll, as I like to say, as I like to used to say. I used to like to say how you say that. <laughs> uh, like Meg Foster's eyeballs, we are crystal clear on what to talk about today. We're going to be, uh, well, first, let me say, uh, that was a bad segue. Let me say, uh, wasn't as good as the, uh, the one Todd had earlier off the air. Uh, this week, uh, we got Todd and Will here. You can hear them uh, laughing and chittering. Uh, chittering? Yeah, there we go. This week, we're doing uh, The Gorilla Von Soho. Uh, Gorilla Gang from 1968, directed by Alfred. This is a fun name to say. Vorher? Vor? 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 V O H R E R. It's a fun one to say. Especially, you know, depending on where you're at, you're from the United, where you're from in the United States. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get into that. And then uh, Carney from 1980, directed by Robert Kaler. Um, one that's not really been on the roadmap, but it's been talked about for a long time on the show. And we're finally going to talk about that a little bit. Um, so that's what we're doing this week. We hope everybody's uh, staying safe, uh, keeping them hands clean thereby. And uh, just taking Washing care of yourself. Washing the hands. Yeah. Washing the hands after you're touching the butt. After yeah. you slap at the base. Yeah. After you slap at the base, yeah. especially if you're sharing the base. Yeah, if you're yeah, sharing right. that base, you gotta, you know, you gotta wash them hands. <laughs> yeah, wash up to the wrists. Go up to the wrists, as we like to do at certain key parties. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's all about the fisting. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Keep the fingernails short and the hands clean. Yes. Right. Yes. There was a time when you kept them long so you could get that smell a little later. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> that, that reminder <clears throat> scent. It's like, yeah. a, like a Yankee candle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Ooh. That's a funk that I don't want days later. <laughs> man. Yeah. Not, not, not a we want the funk on that one, right? Uh-uh. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Ain't no parliament there. Ooh. No. Uh, all right. Let's get into what we've been watching. Um, Todd, let's let's rock and roll. Let's see what you've been up to. I'm going to rock and roll all over this thing. Oh, easy. Uh, I don't, you know, I can't, I can't be controlled. Easy. Um, There's no hard liquor so, being sold in Pennsylvania. Slow down. I'm aware of that. <laughs> uh, so I did a watch of this movie called Bumblebee. Oh. With the Haley Steinfeld and the, and and the, the, the John Cena, the John Cena's, yeah. <laughs> Whoa, I, his voice does not fit his head, John Cena. <laughs> his body does not fit his head. In my, opinion. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. What is up with that? Well. Um, but so yeah, this is uh, directed by Travis Knight. Um, it's a prequel to the uh, Transformers series that Michael Bay. So I've heard good uh, things about this thing. You've heard good uh, things. I, yeah, I, have I thoroughly enjoyed this. Yeah, um, kind of a kind of a Spielberg Spielbergian Amblin type of vibe. Well, it's, yeah, it's basically ET. Um, ah, there we go. It's basically ET, more or less, uh, but you know, a little more action oriented. Obviously, um, it was really, really, really nice seeing the Transformers actually look like the Transformers uh, rather than you know slag heaps. Uh, with eyeballs, yeah. Um, yeah. like in the uh, the Michael Bay movies, yeah. uh, so that was that was really really nice, um, and it's just it's fun, it's fun, it's got a, a nice little eighties soundtrack because it's set during the eighties, uh, it's got you know a, a sweet you know sweetness to it uh, with the relationship between these uh, the girl and her car uh, or her robot whatever you want to call it, yeah, uh, there are yeah there are the very very obvious uh, sort of twee moments to it. Uh, in certain aspects and uh you know it it keeps it it keeps the scale uh big enough to you know kind of get you going but small enough that uh you're involved with it um so yeah i, I dug it i got uh, i got no problems with this one out of all the transformers movies movies i would say this is probably my favorite yeah. um wow. So I mean it's well that's a that's a fine line because yeah I mean, with fame praise yeah because um, oh, yeah, I, I, I like the I like the first of, the, of that series like when it started I thought the first one was okay and then after that I watched the second one I was like what is this shit and then I just stopped <laughs> they make they um, make they make great demo disc those Transformers movies they, I'm sure they make great coasters too yeah but, if you're, uh, you know if you're trying to sell some Blu-rays or some 4Ks. Or some TVs, man. They, they really do. My son, even like back in the day when they would release one, they'd always be on one of the fancy TVs in an electronic store. I say back in the days because we—I don't remember the last time I went to an electronic store. But uh, we go, and he'd always be like, "Whoa, Dad, that movie looks cool." I'm like, "Yeah, that's about all. That's about all there is yep. there." Yep. Dude, that you, is you've, all fucking sizzle. You've probably seen more. You've probably seen five more Transformer movies, and I stopped at one. I've never went past uh, part one, so. Uh, yeah, like I said, I watched the first two, uh, and then that was it for me. I couldn't take any more. Um, yeah. But then I, I I heard a lot of good things about this one, so I, I was like, ah, what the hell? Yeah. Uh, threw it on there, and yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised. It's uh, you know, it's it's very very standard. There are no surprises in this thing. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not gonna be you're not gonna you know come away with a a, a newfound joy of anything really. Um, but it'll tickle enough of your ivories to to get you through. Um. And it's you know it's it's innocuous stuff uh, and it's fun so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I should, I should be clear. I should be clear when I say that I heard good things. I've heard good things from people who've watched it. I'm not. Heard, I didn't hear good things from critics, but I heard. 
good things. People who watch it all, all pretty much have the same vibe, yeah. which yeah, is, yeah. no, it's not nearly what you think it is. So. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, I went from that to a movie from Frank Oz uh, called Bowfinger. Oh, yeah. Bowfinger. <laughs> I, I never watched this, actually. Neither did I. Um, Bowfinger. But uh, I've, heard, uh, I've heard people go insane over this one. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty good. Uh, it's you know it's got uh, it has all of the 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 usual problems that uh, movies about people making movies have in that it's completely not like uh, making a movie. Um, but it's got some uh, some fun characters. It's got some really funny moments in it. Uh, and uh, you know it's nice seeing uh, Murphy do this double performance. Um, that uh, yeah, he he nails on both ends. Uh, it also really uh, it has like a it has a really nice kind of Ed Wood sort of vibe uh, <laughs> to it. Mm. You know, this this gang of misfits uh, who are um, who are just you know trying to to throw a movie together with the uh, spit and polish or with the uh, spit and string, spit and sawdust, whatever. Uh, Vinegar. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, it's, it's nice. And then and then I, I, at the very end, you you do get a heavy feeling. That these guys really have uh, a certain feeling for the work of folks like Joe Estevez uh, and <laughs> yes. things like that, like the Chad Norris of the, of the world. Nice, uh, that sort of thing. Because um, the ending is the ending is a is a blast. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I I'm glad I watched this one. I'm glad I finally caught up with this one. Um, you know, is is it pantheon comedy for me? No. Uh, but it's really, really good. Uh, it passes the time nicely. It's uh, it's good stuff. It's funny. Yeah. It's yeah. a comedy, so <laughs> it should be funny, and it is. There you go. How, how did you catch it? Uh, I got uh, the DVD from Netflix. Ooh, man. Old school. Hey, yeah. buddy, there's a reason that I keep that fucking plan, so that I can get movies <laughs> like Bowfinger. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, because no, you bring up a good point, though. I think there's... I went to... Um, yeah, that's like all the Tai Seng movies, you know, all the, well, the Chinese stuff. That's like, you know, where are you going to find it? Where are you going to find it? Where are you going to find it? Well, I'm, I have the DVD plan, so it comes and it's all scratched up and shitty. But at the same time, I get the chance to watch it. Yeah. You know, you you nailed it because this week, you know, as we've talked about in our show, not to jump into me here, but it, it is sort of cementing your point to keep the physical media aspect of it because we were never offered that in Canada. And Braden, uh, my youngest son, this week, uh, a few nights ago, it was his pick, and he goes, Dad, he goes, let's watch Chinese Connection. <laughs> I'm like, hell yeah, let's watch Chinese Connection. So, of course, I went to Google, couldn't rent it. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to Amazon, the box set's like $150. Mm-hmm. So, guess who didn't watch Chinese Connection? <laughs> guess who ended up just watching... Uh, Ip Man clips and Sammo Hung fight clips and Wu Jing yeah. fight clips. It's yeah. like, come on, man. But yeah, you said it, man. Like it's anyway. That's that's the the problem we run into. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, you know, it, there's only so much you can you can do and you can find. And they say that you know, well, there's everything out there. Well, yeah. If you want to, you know, if you got a shovel and you got the time to dig, um, which kind of brings me into my next movie, but. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And the other part of it is that, you know, especially with like the, these niche titles uh, that we love, it's kind of frustrating because when they come out, and Sammy and I were kind of talking about this a little bit, uh, not quite uh, this uh, this aspect of it. Um, uh, do, 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 do. 
but he uh oh where the fuck was i <laughs> we just derailed. <laughs> i hope i didn't that, do that, that damn message distracted <laughs> me and now i traded thoughts boarding at the station yeah uh, welcome to my world <laughs> easily distracted but oh, oh that's what it was um uh, it's uh we go and we we get these uh, these things and you know if you don't snatch them up as soon as you see them at you know sometimes really exorbitant prices uh they go out of print in like you know a week it's almost like a, a mondo kind of a mondo tease kind of thing yeah uh where you know they they print like 100 posters and they're gone within 5 seconds so if you didn't get one then you you know if you and you're dying to have it then you're going to be paying like you know scalper fucking prices nosebleed prices um, it's either that or, you know, hope to God that, uh, that somebody, you know, puts a, a fucking torrent out there and you're like, well, I don't really like to do torrents because I'm taking money away from the people and blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, it's like, well, for some of this stuff, it's the only way you can see it now because, you know, yeah. they make it, they make it more difficult for you to, to own an actual physical copy of it than to, uh, to, than to get uh, a damn torrent of the thing. And um, that's the problem. Yeah. Right. But that's that's why I keep the the DVD plan from from Netflix and have kept it you know since I started this thing you know so I have both of them and yeah it's more yep. expensive and yep. and all of that shit but at the same time it gives me the the opportunity that all of these things that they have kind of hanging out in their in their delete bins or whatever um, you know I, I get the opportunity to uh, to see every now and again yeah. so yeah I still got it too I, I'm always amazed at the new releases I get that are only on DVD like I think I was telling you that yeah uh, yeah yeah. Uh, White Boy Rick or whatever that that came to me and it's only on DVD. It's not even on Blu-ray. So, yeah. Are you them, serious? Yeah. Some of them, some of them, yeah. Some of them they won't uh, they won't get on they won't get on Blu-ray. Uh, I don't know what the I don't know what the 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 line is there uh, that they won't cross, but <laughs> I know it, it's there. Uh, I could tell you that much. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me think so, that it will eventually get to a point to where it'll be if a film doesn't hit because I don't think White Boy Rick hit really. No, it didn't. Uh, that it'll just be released digitally, and that'll be it. It'll, it won't even get a physical release. Yeah, yeah. I'd say yeah. Well, that, I think that's that, right I around think the that corner. A lot of, I think that a lot of changes are coming to the the film distribution world to begin with. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's like definitely going to be in, some changes in the very immediate future. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah. I know yeah. a lot of companies pushed everything back, um, which has caused a bunch of disruption. I just read, but um, I do find it interesting. Some of these, uh, the, these. What these models, how they're doing? I'd be curious with these, you know, twenty dollars rentals uh, for home, you know, for watching movies from in the theater. Like I think Trolls yeah, I'm not Two, do that. Trolls Two comes out this Friday. Did uh, you say Troll Two? Trolls Two, Trolls Two, uh, you know, the kids' movies. No I think it comes out this Friday, and um, I think it's you know twenty dollars to rent, and uh, you watch it at home, right? And uh, yeah, it sounds. Yeah. Sounds like a bad uh, deal, but it's not really too bad a deal when you think about spending, you know, fifty or seventy bucks taking a family of four to a movie. Uh, right, but that's that's for yeah, that's for a family of four. I'm one guy. I don't spend that much going to the movies. Sure, I'm not sure. going to spend it on at sure, home, and sure. especially not for movies that I have no interest in buying. Sure. So yeah. right there, right there, you they've you've just fucking cut out how many people from this uh, from this equation. Yeah, yeah, you cut quite a few out. Sure. You better, so, you better pay me twenty dollars to see Trolls too. I don't know, buddy. It looks pretty good. They got some. Uh, they got some. Uh, what you call it? attitude? The trolls. Yeah, they got some attitude. There. Trolls with attitude. This time around, they got the metal in there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Little Ozzy Osbourne. Some heavy metal trolls, buddy. 
Watch out. But yeah, that I'd say you know I've seen what Invisible Man's out there, right? The Hunt's out yeah. there. Yep. Uh, yeah, there's a few. Uh, Deadshot. Yeah. Or not Deadshot. Bloodshot. Bloodshot. Yeah, it came out a little earlier than expected because I mean they're going to have to make some money back. Sure. And mm-hmm. uh, I'd be curious what they're doing though because I haven't seen any reports on if it's uh, generating any revenue for the films or not. Right, right. Yeah, I haven't heard any numbers on that either. I think it's going to be mum for a little bit, but. Uh, well, yeah. I, th- I see that uh, Disney is releasing. They're putting their Artemis Fowl movie directly to their streaming service. Yeah. Well, they already put that one. Um, onward. What's onward? And you know, people are watching it. I don't know how. How they? Well, I guess they. You know, because it's part of a package plan, right? So. Yeah. Right. I don't know how they really quantify that. It came, it came out a couple of weeks ago, too, where you could buy it for 20 bucks. You couldn't rent it. You could actually just flat out buy it for 20 bucks. But even then, that- even then, there was, a, there was a trick to that, though, because I noticed, because you know I'm a digital and a physical media collector, I was looking at it, and my son said he'd like to see it. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll just go ahead and pick it up for 20 bucks. You know, whatever. We can't leave the house, and we were going to go see it anyway. Yeah. And I looked and there was no extras, no nothing extra on the release. And then this week, because it hit Disney Plus, boom, there's a bunch of extras on there now. So I wonder yeah. to myself, you know, if I'd have bought it, I wonder if I'd have bought it before. And Apple's usually pretty good about this. If usually if you buy something, they'll, you know, naturally take it up to the 4K or they'll, uh, you know, if you like if you buy the blue, like if you own the blue of anything or the high HD of anything and there's a 4K, they'll they'll naturally just give you the 4K. Oh, that's and, nice of them. Yeah, and yeah, that is. and I thought yeah. to myself, well, I mean, if I buy that, I wonder if they'll give me the extra. So I don't know if they did or not. I don't know if anybody out there can let us know, but I'd be curious because I thought of the same thing. Of, I love the story of the Call of the Wild. I so much so that I'm even willing to watch the Harrison Ford one that just came out. Oh yeah, and uh, it didn't have extras either. But then this week it, it popped up with some extras on there, and I'm like, oh, how interesting. So now they're doing like they were doing at the video stores, which I think is part of the problem that killed video stores is they were putting out those releases and not giving anybody any uh, access to anything but the movie. It would say rental on the disc, if you remember, and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if that's good for them or bad for them. Again, yeah, everything's brand new, so it's all speculation at this point. But uh, I do find it interesting, uh, the kind of models they're trying to do. I remember that the guy that helped found Facebook, uh, I can't remember his name, off the top of my head, I remember he was working on a service where, you know, theatrical releases would be in, in the home theater in in homes uh, for fifty bucks a pop. And uh, I remember thinking, man, that's high. And then of course I started taking a family of four to the movies, and <laughs> it's a hundred bucks for us. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't seem high. Um, yeah. But if if I'm Todd, then yeah, that's way that's way too high. Yeah, because uh, I'm yeah, not gonna spend. You know, if it's just me, if it's something, so if it's just something I want to watch, like I am interested in the Invisible Man film. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pop on twenty bucks on that because nobody else is gonna watch it with me, and I don't feel like I'm getting my value out of it. But and then if I like it, then am I gonna buy it for what another fifteen or another ten? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you start to do the math, and it makes sense. But again, that's a movie only I would watch. My wife's not interested. My kids aren't gonna watch it. I don't know if I want to spend fifty bucks on that movie. And, you know, but if it's something, i.e., like Trolls Two, something that I don't really have any interest in, but the kids do, uh, do I? You know pop 20 bucks on that probably i probably top pop 20 bucks on that one because the whole family will watch it and you know it'll it'll make sense but yeah you know the hunt you know i don't know if i want to pay 20 bucks for the hunt uh, no not really just to watch it and then to find out i like it and then want more out of it i don't know <laughs> it, it, it just it's just it's an interesting new conundrum to the whole thing right 
I get you. Uh, so. Yeah, I know there's a bunch of Marvel fans that are pretty irritated because I think they pushed everything back to the Black Widow. Uh, well, that's some, that's some, uh, some tough titty. As yeah. yeah, man. That is a tough, I mean, tough fucking do? titty. <laughs> they're, they're fucking movies. Relax. Yeah. yeah, take a deep breath. You'll be all right. Everything got pushed back. Uh, it might it might affect those, Dis- those Apple Plus TV shows or those Disney Plus TV shows, I should say. Oh, well, now i got to put my foot down. <laughs> it's affecting everything. So. Uh yeah, what do you I, I got I got a pro tip. There's a hundred years of movies in the past you can go and watch. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> Pump the brakes, buddy. <laughs> You're getting a little radical now. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm gonna drop that gauntlet on them motherfuckers. Fuck, man. Yeah. For real. Come on. You're getting a little crazy now. <laughs> Although I did my my friend's kid. Um, I forced him to watch the uh, the Akira Kurosawa uh, marathon that was on TCM the other day. Nice. Uh, well, because he says he's all into Japanese stuff and anime and all that. I said, well, you should watch some, uh, some Kurosawa. He said, oh, okay. Nice. So I said, hey, there's an entire day of it. So yeah. you have nowhere to go. Plunk your ass <laughs> down and watch it. Watch some Kurosawa. I hope he did. I, don't, I haven't checked if he actually did or not. Yeah. So We shall see. Uh, speaking of Japanese movies, uh, I did a rewatch of uh, 2014's World of Kanako. And Ooh. yeah, feel uh, good movie of the year. Of the year. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. I like. I saw that one. I like that one. I I love it. Uh, and it's it's really odd. Well, I know why Sammy loves this because it's you know it's got that innate ugliness that uh, that he loves. Yes. Yeah, it really um, does, man. Yeah, that'll it lose you. And <laughs> and it, this is a movie that really shouldn't work for me on so many in so many ways. Uh, it shouldn't work for me stylistically. It shouldn't work for me from a character standpoint. It shouldn't work for me from you know uh, uh, so many different uh, aspects. But at the same time, I I, I fucking this thing is just amazing. Uh, it's brutal, and when I say brutal, I mean brutal, oh, brutal. It is. Um, yep. And and so you know, uh, incredibly sad, and it's beautiful at the same time. Um, and it's really just a unique, uh, a unique film experience um, that I would highly recommend. Although I would also say that it is most definitely not for everybody because there is some rough fucking shit in this movie. Yeah, and it is in not for family movie night. Uh, it is not family. It is not a family movie night movie <laughs> yeah. at can all. I, can I give you two words why it works among among many? Sure. Koji Yakusho. Uh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. It's a great one, man. I haven't seen this since, since the film festival, and I remember being bruised for like a week, but just being in awe. But I couldn't stop thinking about it. It's I saw it with Scott, our friend Scott, and Scott was just walloped over the head with it. Like he just, man, it fucking hit him. Yeah. Well, I know that I know that there's there's certain folks like like our uh, our good friend Tyler, uh, mm-hmm. really does not like this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a device. It's and a I get, device and of I film. Get that. I get that. Yeah, I remember seeing it. I remember watching it. I watched it much later than Will did, and I remember talking about it on the show at some point when what we've been watching or whatever. And I remember, uh, yeah, it it hits a lot of my sweet spots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. Oh yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, but the this guy um, Tetsuya Nakashima, I think I've only seen two of his movies. Uh, Kamikaze Girls, which I also loved, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and this one. 
Uh, but I know that a lot of people also uh, liked his confessions quite a bit, yeah. uh, which came out in. That one's good too. It is good. Before before this, yeah. I believe it did. Yes, I would. Def- uh, I would so, highly. Re- I would highly recommend you check that out. Well, that's another, that's another one of those things. It's like I got to find it first. Yeah, so, yeah. It might uh, be a, some of those films. It's funny. We were talking about that. Those films when they were coming out. Those Asian films and those Korean films and. Everything and now that a lot of that stuff is kind of like disappeared, man. I mean, like yeah. some, a lot of that. I was looking through the history of our show and all the films we've covered and all the films we've talked about, and there's so many Asian films that I don't even know how you would see them now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, some tough, there's some tough stuff out there to find. Air Doll and Confessions and uh, World of Kanako. I mean, I think Kanako got a Blu-ray release at some point. It so. did from Alamo Draft House. It got a Blu-ray yeah. release. So, but you know, obviously, it's probably out of print now, and I don't know how big the run was. And right, right. So yeah, there's a lot of that stuff that uh, that kind of uh, more glamorous uh, Asian cinema that came out that isn't as easily isn't as easy to find as it used to be. Yeah, like it's disappeared from a lot of the streaming services too. Like, so I don't know what's I don't know what's going on there. Well, I don't know how popular it ever really was, and I think that a lot of it is, you know, for everybody who for how popular. Uh, Asian stuff is it's really not stuff like this that's popular uh, it's like Sailor Moon is popular this not so much you know what I mean so I think that at first they're like oh it's Asian let's buy 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 and put it out there and then they find out well people don't really want to watch a movie about a, um, a violent misogynistic um, cop trying to find his, uh, his sick as shit daughter um so you know they they kind of back off then on uh, on buying any old thing and they'll just stick with the uh, the weirdo anime fan service kind of shit, uh, which you know hey fair play I mean that's that's a business model and that's you know they still got to bring money in in order to, to remain in business and put anything out at all. Yeah. Um, but I think that's kind of why uh, to Sammy's point that uh, that's kind of why we're not seeing things like this really so much anymore. Um. Or at least not as as uh, as widespread uh, as it was for that that brief little moment in time. Yeah, and they, they kind of fall betwixt and between. They're very much boutique label titles in a in an age when boutique labels aren't really existing. You're getting you know some boutique kind of streaming services. I think Mubi has thrived in spite of some early growing pains with um, limited access in terms of platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a shame. I think he brought up a great point, There's, and you just sort of piggybacked on that there. Uh, some wonderful films that of the past 10, 15 years that have kind of fallen into the cracks, and who knows when we're going to see them. Um, sure. Well, there's, and there's, yeah, yeah, there's a whole list of stuff that I was really keen on seeing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I've completely forgotten about it now, yeah. about yeah. a lot of them, because I'm just like, well... <laughs> They're not, you know. There's no way for me to even know about them, so or, or where they would be. I, I, you yeah. know, it's kind of hard to, to seek out shit when you're not when it's not in front of your face these days, well, especially like with even, how much other stuff gets, you know, shoved into your face. Some of the some, oh, some wow, of the yeah. some of the digital services offer some pretty cool stuff. I know that uh, remember that film we watched at TIFF, Deliver Us from Evil. Well, Dude, I, you read my mind. I was about you. You know what, man? That was, I was just about to say that one's well, on uh, iTunes actually. Okay, nice. Well, I was about to lament its absence because yeah. you and I absolutely adored it. Yeah. It was the last film we saw together at the film festival. Yeah. Um, it's basically a, a Danish. Danish? Was it Danish? Uh, 
it well it was definitely it was, it was definitely nordic, it was, nordic. <laughs> <laughs> it was a nordic riff on straw dogs yeah and it was uh, and it was really, pretty good. Really good stuff yeah and i haven't had a chance to revisit it would like Nor to have I. but uh i was thinking about that the other day because i'm typing up this list of everything we've done and one of them that i've always kind of wanted to see that will saw was what's it called 22nd of may or something like that oh so good by the guy that did x drummer uh belgian filmmaker yeah but it's never i don't think it's ever had an official release that i'm aware of that's so tragic because it's it's such a tremendous film. It's so well shot. No, so. um, you know. Speaking of that, and I'm I'm going to say this on the air because I'll forget until I'm doing dishes on a Wednesday night and and <laughs> won't manage won't uh, message you guys. I almost would like to do our very first ever intentional re-review of a film. Ah, I've th- I've had this thought over the years because there's a film that you and I saw together. Yeah, and man, did it whiff for all of us. Yeah, was, and was it, was I've it? often wondered if we didn't give that film a fair shake, or for whatever reason, it didn't. Was that Ape? Yes. Yeah, Ape. I remember. I, I typed that up the other day too. I remember thinking to myself, <laughs> "Upon, uh, upon, or Ape, whatever, however you say it." And yeah, we'll say Swedish. Yeah, I guess. But that's one that at the time we had high hopes for, and we saw. And I literally at the end, and I try to be very polite in the theater. At the very end of the film, I said, "You've got to be fucking kidding me!" Yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> that's my guess, that's my most uh, vivid memory of that film. My most vivid memory of that film is that the screen goes to black and it's very quiet in the theater, and Will goes, "You got to be fucking kidding me!" <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm not, you know, that guy, but I just, oh, but I've I've wondered about that film every so often and wondered if yeah it would play better for us now if yeah I don't know, I don't know. if that I don't know if that's available anywhere either. It might have gotten yeah. released at some point. I feel like I've come across it once or twice in the ten years or plus that we've you know since we've seen it. But uh, so this is not the the, the giant gorilla. Movie. No, 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 no. It's just basically about a savage individual. Ah. Yes, it's got some interesting. Some... It's got some really interesting ideas, and I remember some things from it. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So it, it had some type of impact on me, but. We all three, me, Will, and Spiros, right? Spiros, yeah, that's right. Good memory. Yeah, we we all just kind of felt blah when we walked out. We mm. just didn't feel like it really hit. We Did not uh, stick. I think earlier yeah, that day we had seen Valhalla Rising. Yeah, with <laughs> Refn uh, and uh, Mads, and I think in attendance, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mads had cowboy boots on. Yeah, man, seven feet tall. <laughs> yeah, I remember thinking, Easy wow, he's it. wearing a cowboy boots. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, we no. saw a lot of pointy toe boots at uh, that film festival. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> Man. Not least of which my high heel purple ones that I got from Prince. <laughs> hey, when this all blows over, that's what we got to do. We got to have a, a gentleman live at TIFF. Uh, yeah. Well, we, we yeah. talked about that kind of before I had a job change and everything else. We were kind of spitballing that between the three of us and – you know, I didn't. And Todd was looking into it for vacation time, and blah, blah, but things of personal lives have changed since that conversation. <laughs> yeah, realities have changed, but because uh, I haven't been back up since that time, I just haven't had a opportunity. And of course, having life. small, yeah, small kids, it's kind of tough to get away. But oh, yeah. uh, my son will eventually be a teenager here pretty soon. I'm sure he's not going to want anything to do with me for a while. So <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll I know, free right? time again. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. All right, uh, sorry, sorry to derail so, you, Todd. Sorry, Todd. Uh, not at all. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, in honor of uh, the Gorilla Gang viewing this week, I watched one of uh, Williams' favorite movies, uh, Der Ding. 
1982. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, this thing is uh, this thing is as good as it's ever been. Yeah, see, what you, um, see what you did there? This thing. See that? Yeah, uh, yeah clever. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> this ding uh, is. Uh, I mean, it is what it is. It's it's one of the best. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, seeing it on on Blu-ray, the the detail in this thing and the colors and everything else uh, was like watching it again for the first time. Um, and you know, it was funny that it really did bring up back all the excitement that uh, that I had watching it uh, at like ten years old. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, there's there's not much I could say about the the movie that that hasn't been said before. Uh, it's so fucking good. The nose uh, ring. From stem to stern, yeah, Doc's nose ring. Uh, <laughs> which yeah, that always disturbed me slightly, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, and it's just fantastic, and Botine's work is is out of oh, this fucking world, and yes. it once again reminds me why I love practical effects so much. Uh, and this movie is a, a shining example of that, and not only that, but that particular person's uh, skills uh, yeah. at bringing them to life. Oh um, man! Of course, in combination with with how Carpenter uh, shot and edited them. So, the, so it is the it is a great film, not just for the way it's oh, made, yeah, yeah. the way it's cast, but when I come away from it more and more as I get older, I, I realize that it really is this fever dream of Rob Bottin's. Oh, big time! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, the, the insanity of yeah. uh, of the, the effects in this thing is just—it's out of this world. And it really makes yeah. me, it really makes me long for Rob Bottin because he's he's all but disappeared from. Yeah, yeah. From, he's kind of become a recluse and all this shit. Yeah, he's all but disappeared for whatever reason. Off. I don't know. Did he kind of burn out? I feel like pretty much. There, there yeah, was, there were some stories about him burning out. It. Yeah, there were some stories about him burning out. There were some stories about him, you know, being very upset. Not not very upset, but obviously just kind of defeated by CGI and yeah, it's terrible. Man. And all these things. I mean, he well, was for somebody for somebody who puts that level of thought into how you do something and love and cry and skill and yeah, he's putting it all out there. I mean, there's there's that you know, and I've said this before, and I not and listen, I don't want to take away from from. You know the folks who do CG, but they are two different worlds, and mm-hmm. and you have to admit, even if you're a CG, you know, maniac, uh, that there is a certain level of ease uh, and sameness that comes with the use of CG over uh, over practical effects. There is a level of ingenuity that has to go into practical effects in order to to pull these things off, and there's also a certain feeling of uh, you know believability even in the most ridiculous uh, or, or horribly done practical effects, um, because you know that it exists. You know, it, it, CG is is a cartoon uh, where practical effects actually exist in the physical world, and you can tell that they exist in the physical world. So that brings you into the movie. Uh, rather than pushing you out, which I think is what uh, the overuse of, of CG does. It just makes you think, well, this is all just a giant cartoon anyway. There's no weight to anything, so why should I be invested in this? It means nothing um, because it's all just, you know, if we could do everything, then we will do everything on screen. Uh, so, you know, that, that, that's what I always say is, you know, I like, to have, I like to have a sandbox that I know where the parameters are, or I guess perimeter, um, so that you you know you can you know what you're able to do and so you 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 match you bring your you bring more skill and more thought into what you have to do in order to make something believable in that square 
than you would when the entire world is your playground. Mm-hmm. And that's that's well, I mean that's my personal opinion, but that's why I love practical effects. And I'm not saying and again, I'm not saying that CG doesn't have its place. It has its place. It can you know it can of be course. used very effectively for a lot of things. But it's you know uh, I it's like it's like any toolbox. You know it's not just a hammer in there. There's other tools. And you can't fix everything with the, you know a hammer. So no. Yeah. <laughs> Looks like the last thing he did, he worked on a short in 2015 called Cindy's New Boyfriend. Yeah. So, oh wow! So I guess he just pops up every now and then. Wonder if that's related, related to Stacy's mom. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Or Jesse's girl. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> uh, looks like he did an episode of Game of Thrones. He worked on there, but he's uncredited. But yeah, he he oh. really stays behind the scenes. He really doesn't. He really doesn't come out uh, to play much anymore. It looks like he popped up in some type of thing as himself called Tales Beyond Madness in 2018. Yeah, I feel like I've heard about that. But he's he's all but pretty much disappeared from public life. He's just not interested in a lot of that stuff anymore. So. All right. Uh, and, yeah, that's pretty much all that I got. So. All right. Yeah, I got a hankering to watch Der Ding. <laughs> Probably every four to six months, my kids got the poster on their bedroom wall still, and I always smile looking at that when I'm tucking them in. Man, it's uh, that's an all timer right there. Um, okay, so I guess that leads to me. Never, uh, I, never, never reviewed on the show, Dirting. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was, wasn't it? No, no, really, we've never touched really? it. Huh? One of those. That is wild. Yeah. Yep, wild style. <laughs> wild style. Okay, so what do I got? So I watched this film called Sex Bomb. Oh, yeah. Um, is it as good as Joker? All right. Yeah, yeah, it's moments. I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah, it's some bathwater I wouldn't mind drinking. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we had kind of a, an interesting week. You know, we're still uh, doing that thing from home, so... Yeah, kind of a very diverse week, which I like. So Star Wars beat rolled on, and uh, we got to episode three. Rise, Lord Vader. And uh, (laughs) let me tell you something. Rewatching this, I've been critical of the previous ones. Uh, This, I got to say, as I felt when I first saw this trilogy, the the newer, not newest, but newer trilogy, I liked it in spite of a terribly edited and misguided um, ending. Yeah. I've said often that if they had ended it with his mask lowering onto his face, you fade to black, you have him breathing, done, beautiful ending. Yeah. So, no! Like, even my kids, who I never mocked no to, like, they didn't know about it. Even they <laughs> looked at me with a smirk, and they're like, really? Yeah. yeah and they're 9 uh, and 11. Yeah, although the problem there is... The, the biggest problem with that no isn't the fact that it's goofy in its own right, but also <laughs> that up until that point, Vader with a mask on had never shown any emotion whatsoever. He'd always been Vader. And then uh, the only emotion you could really ever get is when he's unmasked in part three. Yeah. Or, or, well, Revenge of the Return of the Jedi. Jesus Christ. Six? Part six? Part six, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I always think of it as part three. It does, tells you my age. But <laughs> yes, it does. the. the uh, <clears throat> That that was the problem for me. It's like you know, I agree with you. Put the mask on. Maybe tell him, but just have him have no reaction because at that point he's more machine than man. That's right. And but instead they give us this <laughs> unbearable 
no, which has rightfully oh. rightfully been mocked over the years. It's it's one of the most biggest missteps. I mean, he made a lot of missteps. Yeah. I'm going to go on record and say this is one of his biggest missteps is is that moment. I yeah. just who again who saw that and thought, yeah, we're good. We got him. Yeah. George Lucas. <laughs> well, George, yeah, that's about it, man. A party of one. Because, uh-huh. like I said, I think they get some stuff right. Even some of the emotional beats, even if they're very on the nose and and they're not for me as a as a, an adult who's looking for nuance and, and emotional complexity in film. The stuff with him and um, and Obi when they're fighting and he's you know he kind of laments you know you were the chosen one and this not I like that stuff I think on a certain level it works well within the confines of that universe and the emotional beats that it should hit um, I think yeah McGregor is great I think uh, Palpatine's manipulation is is good and they kind of finally bring that to a head I think that. Um, uh, even Hayden Christensen, the much, much pan Hayden Christensen, uh, he's good in this film. He looks good in the film. He's ditched the rat tail, thankfully. Uh, you know, the CGI is not great, but that's the time we were in. Lucas wanted to play in that sandbox. Um, so, yeah, but no, this is good. I, this this was the one that I felt like I enjoyed. I know some people really don't like this one, but, uh, yeah, for, for that trilogy, uh, it's far and away the best for me, and it's just funny to see them and see how much less um jar jar there was in each successive one thank goodness so yeah so there's that um and i'll say this it just looking at that uh character design of vader through trying to through fresh eyes just tremendous design looks really great like it's hard to separate ourselves from the the pop culture and just how iconic it is but trying to step back and do that it just man it looks good really really good uh, shifted gears. This was like a late Sunday night. Uh, the kids were in bed. Teresa didn't really want to watch anything. Not she didn't, but wasn't really actively looking to. So I was like, you know what? I'm finally going to watch uh, Mammoth's House of Games. Um, you had boy, never seen this before? No, dude. I'd never seen it before. Oh, okay. Okay. So good. So oh, yeah. good. Really loved it. I mean, I think at this point, I knew, I knew what the, uh, twist was <laughs> but it's so good and the cast just delivers across the board really good stuff nice tight film um i gotta be honest it, it got me a couple times like there's a couple moments right i did get uh i did get played so yeah good stuff and it's funny to see you know it's got a lot of his principles in it mantania is fantastic in it oh, yeah. it's just it's funny how certain directors and actors work so wonderfully together and outside of that, you know, they're, they're not utilized in the right way. So yeah, very good stuff. Uh, very good stuff. Next up was, uh, Mrs. Smith's choice. Um, she wanted to watch, uh, the invisible man. Uh, of course the 2020 version of the invisible man. Of course. So, I really didn't have much interest in seeing this. I think Elizabeth Moss is a talented actress. But, uh, you know, I, hey, I felt like I was playing with house money. It's a it's a genre film. Um, I hadn't even seen the trailer because I, I don't really watch trailers anymore. But I thought, let's roll with it. I knew Moss was in it. Um, this one's strange. It, uh, it left me very cold. It feels like a 90s thriller to me. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it other than that. I, I didn't really care for it too much. I think it touches on some interesting things 
with the titular Invisible Man. There's the kind of his pervasiveness uh, and his impact on Moss's character. He's a very controlling, abusive husband. Uh, so I think there's they, they kind of touch on some stuff that I don't think it's handled. I don't think it's handled insensitively, but I don't think it's handled very well uh, either. Um, but no, it, it's okay. Some people I know really liked it. Uh, I, I was left kind of cold with it. Uh, next up, I had been meaning to show this to my kids for a while. Um, speaking of practical effects, uh, they've seen a couple of his films. They like them. I felt like they had to, I had to drop this on them. Decided to show them John Woo's JCVD jam, Hard Target. <laughs> yeah. Is, is this the uh, is this the director's cut deal? or? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So watching this again, and I, I saw this obviously a lot growing up. I feel like I watched it in the run of the show. Watching it again, though, I got to say, man, this thing is fucking incredible. Like, it, like it's among the best action films of the 90s. Bar none for me. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's, uh, so, it, it's in there. I'm pretty yeah. sure we reviewed it. I think. I believe. Did we? We? I, we might have. We might have. It feels like we would have. Yeah. It feels like we would have. But I'll tell you what. You get great heavies. Lance Henriksen is Lance. Oh yeah. Well, it also uh, brought us uh, Arnold Vosloo for the first time. Yeah. Vosloo's fantastic. For a lot of folks. Yeah. yeah. Vosloo's fantastic. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, great call. You remember that. You had a great memory. Uh, of course, it's got Sven Oli Thorson. Yeah. 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 He shows up with a cigar and Hawaiian shirt and Uzi. Um, oh, a, a, a terrible, unforgivable um, accent from Wilfred Brimley. Oh, so good. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. When they hug and they meet and they're talking French, I got chills. It was so bad. But, uh, you know, but it's, but hey, Van Damme's got his best on screen main. Yes. Bar none. Um, it's, a, it's up there with know. it's up there with Time Cop. Time Cop's a pretty impressive. Say, yeah. I love Time Cop. Too. There's a very square head in, uh, in Time Cop. Yeah. 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 Time, but see, this one, Time Cop has something this doesn't, which it's a party uh, in the back. Yeah, that well, yeah, and the he has the splits on the kitchen counter. That's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think very wisely, Wu doesn't let him do splits in that. Yeah, we get a whole lot of round roundhouses, but not not any splits. Yeah, that might this might have broke the splits streak for Van Damme. I can't remember. Is there bare ass in that one? No, there's none of that either. So no, no, no. Unfortunately, no Brimley ass. I was crestfallen. The lack of Brimley ass and Van Damme ass. <laughs> kiss, kiss, gay. <laughs> hey, you know who's who's she's okay, and it is Yancey Butler. I'm surprised she didn't do more stuff. Like well, she had know. issues. Oh, did she? Yeah, yeah. Bad. yeah, yeah. She had it's, some issues when she uh, when she got into the the whole witchblade thing on uh, the TV show she was doing, and oh. she had some alcohol issues. That's too bad because she's. I mean, she's not asked to do much. I liked her. I always liked yeah, her. I thought, she, yeah. I thought she was good. Yeah, she, she had a good. she had a moment, uh, right? And she was a bit of an up and comer, and then she, mm-hmm. she yeah. Well, she also has a very striking look with those eyes. She does. Yeah, she does. She absolutely does. Meg Foster esque. Meg Foster esque. Yeah, yes, no, she absolutely. So. She's. Yeah. Yeah. But she has. Uh, she also has the the bee stung lips. So. Oh yeah, that's a killer combo. Um, but you know, I got I got to give it to Van Dam for this. Uh, talking to my kids about the effects, the stunt work, and. I really think, because I, I, I think even in the run of this show, I was always a Seagal guy. But going back now, 
and looking at Van Dam's body of work and looking at his resurgence and his ability to kind of um, admit how pompous he was and, and be humbled and have a sense of humor about his his image and his persona um, has really, really endeared me to him. And I look at his willingness to uh, have his wings clipped a little bit in films and be beaten up and dragged through the mud. And some of the directors he worked with, like he worked with Ringo Lamb, worked with Wu. Um, and this to me is just a, an incredible example of action cinema. A lot of the stunt stuff is just incredible, man. Really good stuff. So yeah, great rewatch for me. Uh, it's funny though, Braden loved it. William gave it a heat, man. He was harsh. He kind of broke my heart. He was like, no, nah, it was like a four out of 10. I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about, man? Four out of 10. Yeah. But but Braden was in the seven and a half, eight category. So it's funny. I don't know. It's it's funny. William didn't like uh, Invasion USA and he didn't like this, but. Really? But, yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, I'm, and I'm thinking if you don't like Invasion USA, you're not going to like any Chuck. No. That's the high water mark. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, well, that know. or maybe um, a force of one. Maybe, maybe the octagon. Maybe the octagon. Yeah, yeah. With or Lone Wolf McQuaid is really fun, but again, I don't know, man. If he's not gonna, I don't know. Invasion USA is insane. I, if you don't like that, the, the, you know those action movies like that, they just might not be his bag. Maybe. Yeah. But no, he does. He does like Arnold. Like he loves Arnold. Yeah. Um, and he wants to watch Rambo and. <clears throat> You know, he's he's into them. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to show them Demolition Man next, I think. I think that one's really fun. Um, and he's really into sci-fi, right? So I, I think... Um, Maybe yeah. Face Off would be more... Face Off. I was thinking about Face Off, too. That might be one that they can get behind, right? So you know, we'll have to see. It's it's interesting. Some of these ones that just... Have they done up. Double Team? No, not yet. But I, okay. Braden wants to drop Sudden uh, sudden Death on him. Because Fly. Braden and I watched Sudden Death... I don't know, uh, when William was out some day, one day and it was just him and I home and he loved it. And because William's a big sports junkie, we figured he'd like the uh, the diehard during the Stanley Cup uh, twist, yeah, right? So, yeah. And it's a fun one. Again, it's a really fun one. It's got Powers Booth is a great heavy. You know, it's it's really fun. Uh, just uh, two more. So our great friend Joe, Joe Yannick, has been one of the men behind uh, Yellow Veil Pictures. He's been uh, acquiring films and releasing them for distribution. And the first film I remember him being attached to was a German film called Lose, uh, a horror film. And I'd meant to see Lose and I never got around to it. And then it popped up on Shudder, or at least I was aware it popped up on Shudder. And Friday afternoon, everyone was busy doing their own thing. And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna pop on Lose. And I really, really liked Lose. Uh, it's about 71 minutes long. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's wonderfully shot, 16 millimeter anamorphic. Uh, I only knew that because I asked Joe. I knew it was shot on film, but it it is such a good looking film in kind of a low key way. Um, it looks very much like an uh, authentically like a an early 80s. Uh, German film, like almost like Possession or something. It's really got that look down. Uh, this is a a Possession film in a way. Um, it's very much an art house kind of Possession film. It's not going to work for everyone, but I really loved uh, how it worked. I thought it showed a, a really wonderful confidence from the director. Um, yeah, I, I really, really liked this one. I, I thought it was fantastic. So, so it was a uh, win. It was a win. 
It was a win, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Tillman Singer, the filmmaker, I think he's going to go places. Um, I think he's, he's got something to say, and he's got a confidence and a and a skill and, a, and an eye. So I really dug this one. That That's just not kid gloves. Like, I legit was really impressed with it. And like I said, it's going to be inaccessible and frustrating for some, but I'm okay with ambition with the film, even if it doesn't stick for everyone, right? So uh, good stuff. <laughs> Uh, then it was like no one could agree on anything. It was 11 o'clock at night. We had made nachos and Braden, of all people, again, he's been picking just random stuff. Or was it William? Anyway, one of them picked uh, Brewster's Millions. It's on Netflix. Huh. So, yeah, we threw nice. on Brewster's Millions. A Walter Hill jam, huh? But I forgot it was Walter Hill. <laughs> yeah. I totally forgot. And it came on. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, guys, do you know who, who made this? <laughs> I'm like, Walter Hill made this. You know what he made? I, and I remember seeing that in the theater and just, I never, I never warmed up to it. Now, full disclosure, we didn't make it fully through. We got most of the way through. Um, it's, it's fun. You know, Pryor's a guy, and this is going to be blasphemous for some, Pryor's a comedian that he was, you know, slightly ahead of my time uh, as far as his, his peak. Mm-hmm. And, I always I respected him and I, I admired him, but he never really lit my world on fire. Um, but again, that's that's a generational thing for me. I think, um, yeah, it's it's good. I mean, I it, think in the right circumstances, he works really really well on screen. But he was really kind of the, the sort of guy who I don't think was meant for like structured, right, right uh, stories and, and in, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. That makes sense. But no, I remember uh, this one as a kid, you know, seeing it on TV, little snippets here and there. And um, I don't know if I'd seen it since then. I mean, maybe maybe once or twice on cable, but um, it it feels like comfort food to me, like that sort of 84 to 86, like that, you know, that whole era. Uh, it's like comfort food for me. So, no, it's fun. It's, uh, it's funny as we're starting the film and we hear about the hook, everyone's going well, 30, I got to spend 30 million in 30 days. Easy. I'll do this and I'll do this. And Teresa's is chiming in and, and then it's great because the way they write it is, and you can't do this and you can't do that. And so it kind of nixed all their, their bright ideas of how they were going to get around spending the money. But yep. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that was our week in a nutshell. Nice. Nice. I didn't watch much. I've been very busy. Obviously been, uh, working quite a bit. I'm in a business that's uh, in high demand. So, um, that's the way it is. Uh, but we did, we did actually, uh, in true fashion, to something you said earlier. We we checked out onward last night, the family and I, and nice. uh, it was it was pretty good. It was all right. It was uh, gorgeous to look at, as most Pixar films are. And I liked a lot of the character designs and some of the the ideas. It's <clears throat> it's not. It, it I wouldn't consider one of their better films. Uh, well, one of their best films. I consider kind of right in the middle, but. It uh, it was fine entertainment. There's a lot of father son stuff there, so it might touch base with you know people, our listeners who are, are you know very uh, tender toward that element. So there's a lot of that there. But, Ooh, it's gonna get me. <laughs> yeah, it might. Yeah, it might. So, but there's uh, some interesting ideas in there. But I wouldn't say it it knocked my socks off or anything. Um, wasn't nearly as funny as I thought it might be. Like I thought it would be a lot funnier, um, but it wasn't nearly as funny as I thought it might be. It did have some nice elements for uh, RPG players, uh, uh, some nice inside jokes there, but maybe too inside. 
you know it might oh, be really one, yeah yeah it might be one of those it might be one of those where maybe it was probably best for you to to be an rpg person or really into fantasy to get some of the jokes so um but no overall it was uh it was a pretty good time wasn't bad at give all. me a give me a score well, can i can i guess can i guess what your score is yeah, gonna be you can guess can we say it's like in the six and a half realm yeah yeah i'd say right around there okay that's fair that's what i was anticipating for myself too that i was gonna like it more than i initially thought i would but yeah. definitely not love it yeah. yeah yeah i mean there's some fun elements in there there's some some you know for me you being a metal fan there's some kind of fun Valhalla-esque type metal moments and then there's uh, but there's not a lot of that and there's some some interesting ideas but it just I don't know it's a bit too broad in some aspects too but you know we we all had, we all, we we had some we had some fun with it you know my daughter is, is is amazing to me she's four and she will watch you know like I've told you guys she will watch something from the first time the first frame you put it on until it goes off. And uh, my son was never like that. He we just sometimes have to watch things in fits and spurts. He would get distracted, but not her. She's she's. Well, if you say you were going to sit down and watch a movie, she if she decides she's going to sit down and watch it, she's in for the long haul. She don't care how long it is. She never wavered, and it's a uh, hundred. Wow. it's a hundred and one minutes, and she never wavered once. So I, I see some daddy daughter Galatar yeah. viewings in your yeah. future. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Potentially, yes. <laughs> Me and my yeah. daughter talking about the benefits of Lars von Trier on the cinema cinematic landscape. <laughs> she might sound, man, that's pretty amazing at her age. That's yeah. that's really yeah. My wife's like because she watches stuff with me sometimes. Uh, you know, kids stuff and things like that. I will watch with her, not movies so much, but sometimes TV shows and things like that. And my wife's like, does she always like this? I'm like, because my wife doesn't really watch stuff like that with her. Not she does other things with her, and I'm like, because my wife's not a big sit down and watch TV kind of person, and. Uh, I was like, yeah, you know, if I was watching Carney the other night and she came downstairs and the minute it comes on, of course, it's got a kind of a, a very you know, smack you in the face kind of opening. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I couldn't get her to stop watching it. I had turned off. <laughs> I couldn't get her to stop watching it. That tent scene. Yeah. yeah. She's like, is, is that the, she kept saying, is that the Joker? Is that the Joker? Is that the Joker? I'm like, no, it's not the Joker. It's something else. Is that the Joker? I'm like, no, it's not the Joker. And she just kept watching. And I'm like, well, shit, I'm going to have to turn this off because this is, you know, I don't want to have to explain all this stuff to her, you know, and I just had to turn it off. But even when I was watching uh, the Gorilla uh, Gorilla Gang, she was down there and she was into some of it. (laughs) I was like, that's amazing. Like, what is going on? So, you know, I guess the. Acorn doesn't fall far from the tree in some aspects and stuff, but it is interesting having two children who are completely different in some ways, and uh, they they are uh, different in their way. And like I said, my son will watch something; he he doesn't have any problem with it. But he's a busybody like his mother. He can, he kind of he doesn't let things kind of flow over him. He's kind of got to get in the middle of everything all the time. He's got about five or six different things going on at once. You know, that's why my wife is. She's not a you know I'm a one track mind kind of guy. I, I I get something, I get tunnel vision, I got to get that done. And then I'll move on to the next thing where my wife's got like 25 balls in the air and going crazy. And I can't handle that. It just like drives me nuts. Nothing gets done. <laughs> it just feels like everything's just kind of half done. So uh, my, but my son's a lot more like that. And my daughter seems to be a lot more like me. Seems to be much more the uh, let, let things wash over you type. Kind of evaluate. You can see her evaluating things. It's pretty interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. It's interesting to me because, like I said, I don't, I don't, you know, I never have ever shown the kids anything that I've that I appreciate. Uh, I've never shown them anything like that. I've kind of let them kind of generate their own fandom, and uh, it's interesting because I think she's going to be the one that 
says, hey, Dad, have you ever seen, you know, John Carpenter's Halloween or something like that? I think she's going to be the one that does that one time uh, eventually. I, and I, I see it coming right around the corner, too. Uh, where's my son? You know, he, he's not <laughs> he's not going to bring anything like that to me. Like, he doesn't have any interest in any of that stuff. Like, even the Star Wars stuff he watched when he was younger, he's not really, he's not really super into it. He's just, you know, he's kind of like, eh. Of course... Last Jedi may have may have harmed his Star Wars fandom. He he wasn't he wasn't a big he wasn't a big fan of that one. So he's not he has no interest in Rise of Skywalker. I've asked him. I said, "You won't watch it?" No, no. So I may have got him. Uh, it may have been like uh, Phantom Menace was for me. It was like, oh, oh. <laughs> I watched some of Phantom Menace uh, yesterday. I watched the beginning, and I remember thinking, "These robes are stupid." <laughs> I, I was being way too harsh on it, obviously. I mean, they look cool and stuff, but uh, watching them walk through that uh, space station or the spaceship at the beginning with those robes covering their faces, oh, yeah. sort of, I was just like, how dumb they look. I was, being harsh <laughs> on, I was being harsh on it for no reason. But what yeah. I did come away from it thinking is, man, you and McGregor look young. Woo. Oh, I know, dude. I know. He totally does. I was like, man, he looks like a baby. He does look like a baby. <laughs> and for, it was cool because I said to my kids when they saw Padme, I'm like, you know, that's Matilda from The Professional? And they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and then you know what they did? So they go, how come How come? Uh, she doesn't age, but he's grow- He's like 10 years older now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you know. for whatever reason, they couldn't figure out how to do that. I got an idea. <laughs> Cast a younger actress that looks like Natalie Portman, sort of. <laughs> Yeah, right? I mean, and have her in, like, the pancake makeup for part of it. You instead, know, of, instead of making it a pervert's wet dream. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she Uh-oh. helps. She, she gave him the old Woody Allen thing. She helped raise uh, young uh, Anakin, and then she, she hooks up with him. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, yeah. As his baby. <laughs> That's his, yeah. Well, once he rides that animal in part two and falls off of it, you know, it's it's over then. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but yeah, onward. Not bad. Uh, it's on the Disney Plus service and uh, looked pretty nice. And that's one thing I will say. Uh, and I said this when I watched some of Toy Story four last week. I mean, I just don't know how much further computer animation can go. Uh, I mean, I it know. already looks. Some of it already looks so real; it's unbelievable. Uh, especially water. I never thought I'd ever get to the point where I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's real water. <laughs> oh, I know. And yet here I am every time I watch one of these things going, okay, where, where'd they get the real water elements from? Huh? Yeah, <laughs> this is bullshit. This ain't computers. Um, but no, good time. All right, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk some crimmy films. We've never covered a crimmy, 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 crimmy uh, on the show. Uh, we'll just, we'll, uh, I'll divulge a little deeper into what that genre means for those who aren't aware. Uh, when we get back, so we'll be back after this.
All right. Mike. So th this jam you're hearing here is from a good friend of the show, Mike. Uh, I can say his last name. DeGrazia, I believe is how you say his last name. And uh, I'm going to cut it off here. I don't, I, can't, I don't really have a way to feed it down, so... Yeah. All right. So I don't know if you guys can hear me. I've turned way down, but uh, it's good stuff. Uh, Mike, uh, it's called Positivity Tron. You can find it at positivitytron.bandcamp.com. Uh, check it out over there. Um, Mike's a good friend of the show. Designed our logo uh, for iTunes a long time ago. And... Um, I've asked him to redesign it recently, but he's kind of busy. And uh, yeah, the, one of the one of the true nicer people we've met in the history of doing the show, I would say. Uh, I was okay. going to cut you off shamelessly. My apologies. I just wanted to chime into what Todd said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we couldn't we couldn't yeah. hear. Yeah, I know. All you... we heard was the power of positivity, <laughs> Tron. Yeah, yeah. Doing a very GGT. So, so what I should have just... done. So what I should have done is I should have downloaded that from Bandcamp. Because there was no real volume control on that application, and so it was a pain in the ass. Man, so I'll tell you what, that positivity tron would not be denied. Yeah, so maybe it'll it's come so through. Maybe it'll come through in the mix. Either way, Mike DeGrazia, positivity tron, bankapp.com, check it out, as they yeah. say up north. So let's get into uh, the Gorilla Gang. This uh, is coincidentally this was featured on the Gorilla Gang uh, OST. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Directed by Alfred. Um, still can't get that name right. Is Todd still alive? I think he's putting away his uh, shades and leather fingerless gloves, man. Oh, that's what it is, yes. This is, yeah. <laughs> he's, Alfred Vorer. He, he's very quiet on his end. Can uh, you not hear me? There he is. <laughs> is okay. anybody? I don't know what the hell is going on with this fucking thing. Yeah, you couldn't hear me over the music, and I couldn't hear you, period. Well, it, was, so. it was muted, but when I tried to bring it back up, it wouldn't respond. Uh, anyway, oh, we're, we're, we're okay now. Yeah, okay. We, might, we might have to look into using a different application sometimes. You know, there's, there's so many different uh, voice communication applications out there. We've been using Skype the whole time, I think, for comfort. We might want to look into another one at some point. But that, that involves us messing around with technology, and early in the morning, that's a risk. Bro. Ooh, yeah. That is that could bring a few twists. Yeah. yeah. In the past, that has definitely brought some twists to the show. Oh, uh, Okay, Gorilla Gang, 1968, Der Gorilla von Soho. Uh, this is a uh, German Krimi film. Uh, for those who don't know, Krimi films, uh, were they all based on the work of Edgar Wallace? That is generally what, uh, what they're regarded to be, uh, is, yeah, having been... Uh, based on the work of Edgar Wallace, who was a pulp uh, detective writer uh, back in the 30s. He had a, a, a what you call, connection to uh, the original King Kong, um, amongst other things, obviously. Mm -hmm. But the uh, the creamy movies, and this is a very, very loose uh, understanding of them because I'm not an expert on them whatsoever, but generally speaking, uh, the creamy films themselves are the ones produced, I think, between like 1958 or so. Uh, might be a little bit earlier, a little bit later. Uh, and right up to around this point in time, uh, like the 68 and then maybe even up to like early 70s. Um, but they all were to be considered a, a creamy, like proper. 
they would have been uh, produced by the Rialto uh, Pictures Company. Yeah. Um, which is weird because, you know, when you look at lists, you'll usually see uh, at the ass end of it, uh, Seven Bloodstained Orchids and What Have You Done to Solange. Um, yep. And I guess those those I, I, again, I'm not being an expert and having done absolutely no research, uh, those I believe were, were also based on Edgar Wallace, and that's just about all that there really is uh, as far as the relationship uh, to the uh, the creamy. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean that's the thing. These things were the uh, they were kind of the the bridge um, between. Uh, what you call it between uh, the Hollywood uh, pulp detectives uh, and uh, Jolly, mm-hmm. uh, and you certainly see that in this one because this one, you know, it's got a lot of um, a lot more uh, like procedural elements of it going on than like a typical Giallo, but at the same time, it has uh, 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 its it style is a lot more modern. Uh, it has very you know overt uh, sex uh, uh, elements, sexual elements, and, kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the, uh, but this also has a few, you know, like black glove killings in it. Uh, so you can see, you can see, uh, where the elements blend. Um, although this, you know, it also has, uh, you know, a little bit more of a, a coherent explanation of the, of the finale uh, in this than you would see in like Jolly. Yeah. Uh, but it's also plenty insane. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the thing that I kind of, that's the thing that attracts me to these things. And like I said, I mean, I had never, I, I think I had seen, I mean, outside of the two Italian ones that everybody knows, uh, I think I had maybe seen one, uh, actual creamy, uh, before this. And I had been meaning to have them on the show to get them on the show. I just had never been around. I'd never really, uh, could never really find a way to get them in there with any sort of, um, uh, what you call it? Like, um, like, which one do you pick? You know what I'm saying? That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I figured what the hell, uh, I figured, you know, let's get it in there get it going. Uh, and like I said, uh, last week I picked this one because it was later in the, uh, it was later in the cycle. So my expectation would be that, uh, they had gotten their ducks in a row by this point, had nailed down, uh, any formulas that they were going to nail down. Uh, and that this would be as good a representation uh, of these uh, these movies as it was possible to to have. Uh, although it would be interesting to see the the very very early stuff too. I mean, obviously, I, mean, I, I have a whole shitload of them um, digitally, uh, but I just you know I haven't gotten around to to watching most of them yep. or any really. So oh, yeah. <laughs> so some of the basic bullet points. I did a little research, obviously, for uh, the show, but basically most of the kind of the 32 primary crimmy films, uh, they kind of exist out there, uh, but they're kind of in purgatory. It's not not an easy genre, so what somewhat to find. I don't think there's been a whole lot of no, releases. Is, I don't. I know there's never been like a region one box set that I'm aware of. What a shame. Um, yeah, right. It's, it's one of those things. It's it's really it's it's one of those inexplicable sort of things where you're like, why is that? I don't get. You know. Yeah. You, well, I would have I would have thought that this would have been you know a huge thing. Uh, for uh, for genre people, might have been uh, just it's kind of like German westerns. I mean, there's yeah, there's yeah, these yeah. little genres that you know you just never have really seen any proper releases for. Uh, you know, a lot of the Italians got a lot of influence from early German westerns. So, um, but you know, most people don't know that because they haven't seen the German westerns. <laughs> right. Uh, a plot involved, uh, basically some bullet points here. A plot involving a group of individuals harboring a secret, kind of targeted one by one, blackmail or murder. 
Uh, mass killer whose identity is revealed by the end of the film. So some Scooby-Doo elements, obviously. Uh, devil, oh, yeah. Devil May Care protagonist investigating the killer. That's one of the plot elements. Uh, usually takes us from London to some type of manor or castle in the countryside. Uh, the protagonist sidekick is almost always in there for broad comic relief. We get that here. Check. <laughs> and then well, my favorite bullet point on this uh, article I read is, last bullet point, Klaus Kinski. <laughs> <laughs> Which, unfortunately, Klaus isn't in this one, but he did do uh, a few creamy films. So, Ooh. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that was the one that I saw. Was one with him, uh, creature with the blue hand, or I, I believe it was called. Yeah. So basically, I would say you could kind of synopsize it down into a very essentially a uh, a German Agatha Christie slash Yellow. Yeah. 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 And very much. That that pretty much takes it down to what you need, and they they are very pulpy. And yes. I, I'm not either. I'm not very familiar with these either. I didn't look through all the Krimi titles. Uh, if you consider Solange a Krimi, then obviously I've seen that. But I, I haven't seen anything else. Um, but anyway, well, here we are. We're reviewing one. So let me give a plot synopsis here and we'll talk about it. Scotland Yard goes after a gang that drowns its victims for their insurance money. So it's kind of an interesting way to, to kind of get rid of characters. It has some fun th- uh, character names in here like Sergeant Pepper. And Mr. Dr. Sugar. Jekyll. Yeah, Mr. Sugar, who's Dr. played by Jekyll. Herbert Fux. No, Herbert Fux. Yes, Herbert how Fuchs. about it? It's got to be Fux. <laughs> yeah, yep. F-U-X. Yeah. Got to be. Yeah. So, uh, no, but the, it has some kind of fun. Yeah, Dr. Jekyll. It has this, uh, <laughs> you know, Edgar Bird. Uh, it's just, Perkins. Yeah, fun titles, fun names to say. I, I did think it was funny with uh, when Sergeant Pepper came in. I'm like, Sergeant oh, man. Sergeant Pepper, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but there is a sexual element to the films as well. So I don't care who wants to lead on this. Uh, it's up to them. I don't, you know, whatever, whomever, doesn't matter to me. Uh, I guess I will then if, uh, no one's, uh, going to, uh, so yeah, you guys had mentioned this being the first Krimi on the show and it's funny. It's taken us this long. Well, that was, um, yeah, that was the weird thing to me. I was like, I, it just seemed odd. Uh, I wanted to get it in there before. If you don't count Solange. If you don't well, count Solange. And to me, and I would never pretend to be an expert in something I've seen two of, but to me, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Todd or Sammy, but to apply the term crimi, that's a very region-specific application. Right. Like, to say crimi means it's it's a German production. Right. right? That, that was my general yes. understanding. Of it, yeah. So, it would seem yes, to be, I mean, yeah. yeah. I feel like I've seen one other one, just because at that point I said to myself, oh, I've never seen a crimi, so... Or creamy, whatever. Creamy is fun to say too, but mm-hmm. uh, crispy, creamy. Crispy, creamy. So it's just weird that all three of us love film, deep dive, love jelly, <laughs> love pulp, uh, and yet it's just a total blind spot. So it's so, el- it's so bizarrely elusive. It's like it, it's one of those things that just kind of it lurks under the surface. It's a little too kind of maybe vanilla e seeming i think that's uh, for some folks yeah, and yeah. and and not and a little too like exploitive for or a little too i should say of its time for for other folks it's betwixt in between in some ways because right. of that right right like, well that's what that's why i use that's why i kind of i'm sticking to the 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 expression like it's a bridge right i mean it's, right. it goes right. in between the two it has elements of the two it's you know it kind of is trying to live in in both worlds a little bit and that's i think what kind of makes it um not be not be as uh, distinctive or or 
Do you know what I'm trying? Do you know what I'm yeah. trying to say? No, no, absolutely. I, I'm, I, I got fucking word salad going on today. That's okay. That's okay. I do want to say uh, Alfred Vorher worked for quite some time. Worked for I think seven. He worked for. Gosh, he was still working up until like the eighties. Uh, started working back in the 50s. Uh, two titles that are going to be fun to say, and they really don't have any other reason for me mentioning them, but he did a film called Der Zinker and Der Hexer. <laughs> so, Der what? Yeah, yeah. Der Sound Hexer like DC and, villains. and yeah. Der Zinker. Der huh? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Winnetou and Old Firehand. It looks like he did another Soho film. Der Funky Monkey. <laughs> Der Funky Monkey, Der Hunchback of Soho. Yes. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got to say, man, these crimmy posters are some of the best posters ever. Well, I love the, the Italian, like the Locandina, or like the Italian poster for this. It looks like a giallo poster, but it's yeah. got like the gorilla behind the woman, and it's a beautiful painted poster. I mean, if you, if you guys just go to IMDb and search crimmy films, there's a, a big list of crimmy films, I think 50-something plus, and the posters are all amazing. I mean, they're all yeah. amazing. I would hang any one of these in my viewing room. I mean, they're just they're, oh, yeah. they're beautiful. They're beautiful. Yeah. No, they are nice, man. There's, uh, there is a number of them, that's for sure. Uh, very, very nice stuff. Um, so 1968, you had mentioned this was kind of uh, well into the cycle of the Krimi. Uh, by this point, we'd had... The Jolly had shown up because, uh, I mean, Blood and Black Lace was what, like 66, 64? 60, uh, yeah, around there. Somewhere in there. So I think that's a wise play by you in terms of what it brings to the show for us because I'll be forthright and I don't want this to sound piggish. But for me, it was great that it added those exploitable elements. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? Because there is certainly some charm in the. The, uh, the the lead uh, detective uh, and so well, forth. I thought he was but great, Tapper. He, Tapper uh, was charming. I thought he was great at um, the uh, the way that he uh, he kind of charms. Um, he like he barks stuff at the at the uh, at the younger cop at Sergeant Pepper, but he's got he Tapper himself. I think has a certain magnetism too. He's got like this kind of old school smooth charmer kind of thing. Yes. Uh, going like on, but, but at the same time, you know, he's really quick on the uptake and he never uh, lets the chance for a quick one liner uh, to pass. Yeah, he um, does. He is quick on his feet. And I think that's one of the things that endears us to him. And, and we really buy him in terms of the performance and how his character is written is mm-hmm. uh, he does come across as as a quick, sharp wit, uh, being low key, kind of stylish and debonair. Yeah, um, he works as a lead. Absolutely. Um Looks like yes, looks he, like Vora did he directed the majority of these I guess yeah, yeah. but Freddie oh, Fra- wow. Freddie Francis did uh, quite a bit of them and so did um, well one of them was done by Antonio Margaletti. no way yeah oh Fritz, Fritz Lang is considered a crimi film director he did the Thousand Eyes of Doctor Mabuse well that's funny I was going to uh, say I would love to see it's considered a crimi considered a crimi I don't know if it is. Right, right, right. There is some abuse. Well, it, it's there. yeah, it's one of those nebulous sort of things where yeah, you can apply it. And yeah, sort of German crime film for its laying, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, the film, the film you'd mentioned, the Scooby Doo elements. This feels very Scooby Doo to me. Mm-hmm. Very, and I mean that as a compliment. I love sure. Scooby Doo growing sure. up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
even the credits. I, I'll tell you what. I've seen a lot of films in my day. <laughs> yeah, I love. The I've credits. never seen credits like this. <laughs> yeah. That oh, like, dude, this thing. Yeah. It reminded me of Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Underwater credits. credits. Going left yeah. to it's... right, right to left, down to up, up to down. <laughs> I've never seen that. Never ever seen that in a film. So that was cool. It was, uh, and like I said, it, I think it it immediately it was something as simple as the credits gives you a good taste that this is going to be a fun film. And I think this is a film that's self-aware of the genre without being grating about it. Like, yeah. it, you know, it's aware of the mechanics of, of, of the genre. Um, even, well, even when it's, even when it's being broad, mm-hmm. which it does at multiple points in the, in the film, even when it's being broad, uh, in certain ways, it's it's never really you never really feel like it's kind of like you know giving you a wink wink nudge nudge kind of no. of a, a deal. It's never like it's never like looking at the audience and being like, hey, look at how wacky we are. No, no, it's it's not self satisfied or pretentious about it or or yeah. kind of grading in a freshman kind of way. Like, look at me, look how smart, look how self aware yeah. I am. Yeah, yeah. It never does that. Um, it's uh, it's handled really well. Uh, got a really great jazzy score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really great jazzy score. I really like that. Um, what's interesting about this is, and I, I'm sure a lot of these because they're adapted from Wallace uh, novels, is it takes place in England. Yep. I personally would have loved to have seen more of them take place in Germany, but then again, it would have been something altogether different, right? If yep. uh, just the um, the architecture and whatnot, I think it would have been been interesting to see. But yeah, this is you know there's Scotland Yard, uh, the River Tame. There's there's a number of uh, landmarks uh, or things that are very specific to England that are mentioned here. Um, and as the film starts, we see Inspector Perkins uh, is investigating, and it opens up in a very <laughs> bizarre way where a man in a gorilla suit. Ah, uh, dude. Mm- yeah, <laughs> that opening you get that the Bob Burnsian sort of gorilla yeah. show up in like the first minute, and oh, it's, yeah. it's you know it's it's one of those things where it's you know very obviously we're not supposed to believe this is a real gorilla, right? No. right? You know, we're, no. we're, we're, we're meant to marvel at the weirdness of this you know hook or gimmick or whatever you want to call yeah. it. And, and you know what I found was was interesting there. I mean, talking about Edgar Wallace really quickly is that the film it not only embraces. Uh, but it, it flaunts its Edgar Wallace roots, and this is again in the in the opening moments of the film, and how just just how striking it is, and how you know you're not quite. It kind of knocks you back a little bit because you're not really 100 percent prepared for for how it uh, how it goes about what it's doing um, during the opening moments. And I don't know if this is a thing for all of these movies, but I, I kind of suspect it might have been. But you get these uh, these uh, gunshots. Uh, on the soundtrack, you get animated bullet holes, and then you get, if I'm not mistaken, you get Edgar Wallace actually announcing that this is an Edgar Wallace story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I mean, it's that it's really, really bizarre to have that sort of, you know, authority, authorial, autourist, I guess, stamp uh, on something from uh, from a writing standpoint, uh, and to be so overt about it uh, is really kind of it's it's almost like it's almost like uh, the opening shot of every James Bond movie with the gun barrel, yeah, uh, in a, in a certain way, no, and that's that's, that's how point. I took it to be. But I mean, 
because this thing is it's so rooted it, this thing is so rooted in the 60s it's not even funny i mean it's oh, very much it's, so. it's very mod it's very stylish it's got, it's got a lot of euro spy uh elm, uh, elements in it it's a little yeah. um, a little bit of swinging a little bit of swinging in there maybe yeah oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's very, but there's also very definite horror elements as well that are played up, and not oh, yeah. just in in concept, but in some of the visuals, like um, you know, to, to these these like quasi gothic uh, sort of uh, locations. That they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like you know, like or or, or, or like um, the whole aspect of what's under the gorilla mask. That's right. Right. Um, so this isn't really this isn't really uh, like a Sam Spade Mike Hammer mystery, even though it's heavily heavily rooted in. Uh, you know the pulps the pulp, and uh, yeah. and that sort of detective uh, story at the same time. It's it's just, it's just this bizarre like melange of uh, these things. Yeah, and it's done in a kind of it, it feels very organic, and it it just seems to uh, meld together in a really organic, natural feeling way. Yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. and it, you mentioned the mask, and it's true. Like early on, it's not just that we see that that gorilla suit. It's I guess it gives us this really kind of unsettling close-up of the mask yeah we see the eyes behind the mask it's uh yeah it's it's really well done um early on there's a very gggtmc art show quote-unquote art show (laughs) well that's that's the it's the uh (laughs) the nude model sculpture bar slash brothel yeah that's our kind of spot man you know talking about that you know you get the you get that really great uh casablanca moment in there, mm-hmm. where where uh, Tappert's superior, the older guy, the old guy, I think oh, I can't yeah, remember what his yeah. name, commissioner. Sir Arthur, called, is it? No, uh, I don't remember. Um, but he gets anyway, his, uh, yeah. he gets caught with his hand in the proverbial cookie jar. He sure does. Right? Oh yeah, and you can, and you know that leads to a nice little running gag that oh, and again, yeah, one of these, these overt things with Mr. the no 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 with the the. Uh, no, his the, the older guy is not uh, is not Mr. Sugar. Fuck, I'm mixing. Um, sorry, man. I, Mr. I Sugar is the guy who looks kind of like Anthony James, yeah, Reggie yeah. Nalder. Oh right? yes, yes, yes. Okay, so um, yeah, Mr. Sugar is the kind of Reggie Nalder looking guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's uh there's that nice running gag that you get with the Ingrid Back character, who's one of the models, quote unquote models in this in this thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, that was his name, Sir Arthur. Sir um, Arthur was Hubert von Meyring. Yeah, Hubert Hubert von Meyring, uh, where she keeps popping up. <laughs> yeah, he's popping up and going. Have we got a date or haven't we? And he keeps having to like stuff her into like a closet or whatever. But uh, but yeah, it's just it's really great. It's, I mean, you, this is you know talking about bringing in not only the exploitive elements with the, with the nudity here, uh, but also it's very very GGTMC because you do get uh, a nice metal trace bank to a guy's oiled ass. Um, oh yeah. But uh, but this is one of those things where you know again it's very very of its time, but it's also very very you know kind of. Bringing in the, that other side of it, it's uh, risque. I, I yeah, felt like it yeah, felt it's getting a little, it's getting a little, it's getting a little like racy. Yeah, there's some almost some full frontal, like it's almost just like you see some pubes and yeah, yeah, yeah. It, dudes rocking like a thong with an old ass. He's got the GGTMC cut underwear, and um, <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's funny how it does feel very risque because the film feels very 60s, but it mm-hmm. yeah, it's no, it totally does. Totally like does. Freddie Mercury said, it wants to break free. It did, well, yeah. It, it felt definitely like it did. did. It felt like a Freddie Mercury party. Uh, it it did totally feel like did. A Freddie Mercury party, actually. <laughs> don't party like a Mercury party. <laughs> uh, it was a Mercury party. Don't stop. <laughs> no, it sure don't. That ass. Yeah, man. It's uh, he's no Van Damme. I'll just say that. <laughs> well, he yeah. wasn't. You might have been doing splits, but yeah, not like quite. Yeah, that dude was in good shape though. Yeah. Um, oh, he had a the film. He had a saddlebag in the front there. 
Yeah, he did. Yeah, he certainly did. That German uh, link. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that roll of Deutschmarks in the, in the front. <laughs> um, lots of, this is sort of an obvious statement, but lots of sexy women in this. Like, in a way, and when I say that, it's not just these kind of blank slate uh, you know, model types. Like, I feel like most of the women in this film bring an overt sexual, palpable sexuality to the screen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, which again, as an exploitation film in some regard, a classier version of one, it's still, it's still there. Right. So really, really good. Hey, I meant to ask you guys, Donald Parker, there's a character, Donald Parker in this is, or is Henry Parker. It's Henry Parker. It was Hen but that wasn't the, what was the name of the, the spy novels? Was it Donald Parker? The the lead, you know, Parker. Yeah, no, I know there was Parker. The well, I know there was a, Robert Parker wrote the Spencer novels. I thought Parker. If I'm not mistaken, was, but I don't remember. You're talking, uh, about don't the, remember. you're talking about the lead character in this. Yeah. Anyway, you know this. No, is no, really, no. Parker was one of the one of the guys. Um, one of the the, he, the the skanky guys. I think he was uh, hooked up with the one chick from the Parker, the brothel. Parker basically had the Luciano Rossi role in this. Yeah. 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 He was like the trench. He was like a smackhead, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, and you know what? This was a total digression. I thought well, Parker. Parker. I mean, well, the only other thing that I could think of would be like the, um, uh, the uh, Stark uh, novels, like the point blank, a, point blank, point uh, blank stuff. Maybe that's what it is. The Stark novels. For some reason, I thought it was Parker. I believe it was, it was originally. Stark. I, if I'm not mistaken, it was originally Parker in the novels, and then they Ultra. changed it a bunch of times. And then you know, with like payback and all that, they, uh -huh. they changed it. Like every movie, it was never called Parker. Okay, so if that I'm, I was, if I'm, if I'm thinking correctly, that I hope you are because it, uh, that's the track I felt like it was on. I didn't know if that was kind of another kind of nod to a, a pulpy character with some of the other names like Pepper, yeah, I could see that. Sir I could Arthur, see that. and you know, but um, we get a very how about that subtle medical diagnosis, deaf, <laughs> dumb. And a little bit retarded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Uh, Not completely correct whatsoever. No. Like the plot synopsis to Think Big last uh, a couple weeks. Yeah, later. right? <laughs> oh, man. Tell I'll me about it. That. Tell me about it. Uh, How about, I mean, I, that was, speaking of that, that particular character, uh, I found it kind of clever um, to have some of the clues come from an African language. Right? Yes. Because, because yes. number one, uh, it's something that requires a specialist, which is where the Ushi Glass character comes in. Yeah, uh, it gives a little bit of like uh, exoticism to the film, which at the uh, time with, was, with the yeah. character with the Dorothy character played by uh, Katana Cayetano, I believe. And I'm not, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Um, who you know, she unfortunately doesn't really have all that much to do, but that's the character that you know Will's referring to with being yeah. deaf and dumb and, and slightly uh, retarded. Um, and as well as you know, this this whole idea kind of has a loose connection with the idea of a man in the gorilla suit killing people. Uh -huh. So I mean, it kind of all it kind of all really loosely kind of fits in and gives it a bit of a, a nice little different uh, different angle. Um, yeah, it's almost like the uh, almost kind of like a, something that would be centered on like the Mau Mau or something. It's it's the the thing I appreciate about this is there is. A certain level of care and construct paid to the characters and what is asked and what's doled out by the characters whereas in some of our their italian counterparts 
everything was just very haphazard and slapdash. Right. Um, so there's a certain level of construct that I appreciate with this. And then uh, Kitano isn't given a ton to do, but I think she works well with what she's given. Oh, yeah. To do. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, we should say, uh, credited as Muskul Model, burned Vilchevsky. So good on you for that oiled ass burned. <laughs> um, what else do we got here? Relatively bloodless affair, but it still feels in spots like pretty you know pretty intense yeah well there's the, there's the one there's the one um there's a one scene it's it's towards the end where you know i actually felt it when the gorilla drops a character oh yeah yeah uh towards the end there i was like oof i it just you know i i could actually feel the impact uh of that thing happening yeah uh, yeah, yeah I mean, no, there's, true, there's, true. Def- there's definitely some uh some tactility going on here some uh, visceral uh stuff it is, and it's it's just kind of some some good sleight of hand with that, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, I should say I apologize. I said Sugar was the Luciano Rossi character, but I think it was was it Edgar Bird was the anyway the guy that like the junkie in the trench coat was that Edgar that was Bird? the Parker character. Well, Parker. I don't know because I think that oh, I think fuck, the, the Bucks character was a kind of a junkie too. Okay, so anyway, there's the one guy you totally reminded like the Luciano Rossi like. You know, totally weirdo in a trench coat that just keeps showing up. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We get. Uh, why do I say this? I I go, damn. Oh, I, that's supposed to be pussy, not pussy. <laughs> well, nice, nice. Uh, we get a very. <laughs> could be yeah. could this, be one. This is why spelling is important. Kids. Could could yeah. be one and the same, depending on the club you're in, brother. Yeah, right. Yeah, I give you a two for one deal. How about that that blistery reveal? Yeah, right. Oh man. Uh, well, that's what that goes back to, like the the horror element. That yeah, it's kind of like a Baron Blood sort of moment. Yeah, uh, totally is. House that's of Wax is what I thought of. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, I thought Sergeant Pepper was good in this, if a bit underused. But uh, again, it's really not his show, is it? It's it's uh, horse tapper. This shtick going on where he he doesn't want to work past five o'clock. Yeah, he's a fucking <laughs> he works eight hours. He's eight and he's done. But yeah. a clock yeah. watcher, man. That's right, yeah. man. Nobody likes a clock watcher. Um, yeah, but it's got, like I said, we've, we've already touched on this. It's got these very Scooby-Doo elements, and it's they work very well, and I think much in line with the name I mentioned earlier, i.e. Bava. We have some really strong use of colors. Um, I think it's a really clean-looking film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Really clean, great, great clean use of costumes in terms of how they're tailored and the color of the costumes and... And just everything's blocked in the film. It, uh, yeah, it, it to me it's reminiscent of like a, a Bava Giallo more than it is, you know, a Martino. Let's say, right? right? If we're going to sort of give it a, a through line for our, our friends or how to compare it to something, and yeah, at the end I got to say that twist was uh, was good. Yeah, so, right. Yeah, and how about Mosi, man? God bless her. Good <laughs> lord. Yeah, I hear you. All right, you guys can. Uh, all right, uh, I'll chime in a little bit here. I, yeah, the gorilla. Uh, I, I enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. It it was a new kind of a new experience for me. Obviously, I never really, you know, looking through this list of crimmy films that's on IMDb, I was just curious if I'd seen anything, and I I, I can say that I have not. Um. Uh, but I am more interested now because I mean I, I like these kind of like uh, mystery films. It looks like Jess Franco made one. 
Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Der Tordrasher, Tordrasher von Soho, another Soho one. Man, they're all about that Soho life. Yeah, they like that Soho life. That was jolly old England. Uh, so, but I, but I've never seen any of them. So this is the first one, and I did enjoy it. It reminded me a little bit of. Um, yeah, Agatha Christie novels, kind of simple, kind of maybe some, some of the Sherlock Holmes stuff. Um, it works really well. I'd, I'd say it is, they are wonderfully shot, if a bit stayed when it comes to stylism. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they're yeah. very, they're, like, well, they're locked down to, uh, yeah, yeah, I think Will said it perfectly when he said they're very well blocked. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're, the shots are perfectly set up in the sense that they're movie shots. Um, you never really feel like the camera's moving or anything like that, and it's not really for the most part. But it's but it's okay because it works for the story. The story's kind of more about the dialogue than it is about the the camera being a character, kind of like Gialli would basically become. More about you know this kind of lurking uh, seediness. The seediness is here. Um, oh yeah. But dealt with more in a kind of a dialogue way. Um, Oh, you could you get something you want to add there, Will? I was just going to say I'm so glad that neither one of us used the term mise en scene. Yeah, when we described it. Yeah, I, I very rarely would. Uh, I very rarely use that. Term. I've never used that in the real world. I've yeah. never even typed it before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck off. Uh, yeah, not my thing. <laughs> I was laughing just picturing you even saying it, like. Yeah. How ridiculous! I would feel so ridiculous. Yeah. Sorry to derail. Man. No, Just, I don't. We were I, talking I, about the blocking, and I'm glad you felt the same. I don't. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think we've ever used it. But we, we'd be. <laughs> you might be surprised with all the hours of, of us talking out there. There yeah, might be someone's going to pull that clip out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of us says, you know, I hate to use this term, but the mise en scene. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's a valid term, but it just always it, it sounds pompous yeah. whenever anybody uses it. It just it's one of those. One of those terms, it's like, please don't use that. Um, Anyway, uh, back on point here. I think, obviously, the genre fan in me, some of the aspects of it I like the most are the horror elements. I mean, they really speak to me, uh, obviously. And uh, they work pretty good. I I was actually kind of surprised by the kind of payoff with the gorilla suit and stuff. I was actually kind of stunned by it. I didn't even see it coming. I was. I was totally stunned. I was like, what what is this? I was like, this adds a whole other wrinkle to the movie now, and uh, I'm not going to give it away by talking about it here because I do rec- I do think people should check it out, but it, it does add like a whole other wrinkle to the story, and uh, I quite enjoyed that. I didn't. It's just one of those kind of unexpected surprises, and again, that's probably just my unfamiliarity with the the mise en scene, the uh, genre <laughs> itself. <laughs> uh, but I just you know I found that quite enjoyable. I was a little thrown off at first by the the kind of humor and it's not overt but it's it's certainly there and i was just a little thrown off on it at first and i was a little thrown off for the horse tappert character at first i thought he you know he's kind of sherlock holmesian but he's also kind of he's a bit stiff but also he's a bit of a ladies man it's it's a weird performance it's a weird uh character in a lot of ways um but overall i did really kind of enjoy certainly uh, his performance in the movie uh, is very good. Uh, you know, th- those aren't leading man looks, and so it was nice to have a kind of a leading man who looks more like a real person in a way. Mm-hmm. And really, outside of the female characters in the movie, most of the people in the movie kind of feel more realistic than they feel, um, 
I mean, you know, for Italian films would always kind of go for the 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 exploit exploitive elements, right? The good looking oh, yeah. guys, definitely the good looking women, mm-hmm. and they use the women here, um, but they kind of keep the heroes in kind of a more realistic vein, I think, and I found that kind of interesting. Um, the music is quite a nice touch. I like the idea of the drowning victims uh, to get rid of them. I find that very interesting for insurance. I just found it kind of interesting, uh, kind of a nice touch. Because, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, it, you've drowned somebody. It doesn't always look like, uh, well, not that I would know, but it doesn't always look like murder. Uh, you're not really putting hands on anything, right? You just kind of, maybe you knock them out or something, stick them in a, a vat and drown them. But, you know, really for the for intents and purposes, it's kind of a, even though it's a horrible death, it's kind of an unmessy death. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does. It's bloodless. Absolutely. Yeah. It's bloodless. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, which, again, like Will said, that's kind of this movie. But it, it did because of the nudity and the kind of uh, the griminess of some of the characters and stuff. It did, it did still come off a bit sleazy and smarmy, and I kind of appreciated that. Yeah. Um, the way it kind of worked. Um, it's one of those things where this is kind of a gateway drug now. This is kind of one of those things where I'm like, oh, well, i got to check out some more of these. Certainly yeah. some Klaus Kinski ones. And uh, definitely check them out and see. The tree is the Klaus. Uh, <laughs> check them out and, and see uh, where we go. But, I mean, this, this, this to me, this kind of, these kind of movies are like, they're like the definition of Sunday matinee. Yeah, yes. totally. Yes. Like, set down, breezy Sunday watch. Because there's nothing... There's nothing here that's going to wallop you. Like, you know, it, it's not a Von Trier film. It's not a Noé film. It's not a Sergio Martino no, film. No, but it, at the same time, it is pleasantly surprising. Yeah, but it, mm-hmm. it's like a really good Agatha Christie adaptation. It's just, right, right. It's just boom, 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 story beat after story beat. And it, it just it works. And, and because it works, it all makes sense. It's just kind of a nice mystery story. It just And don't forget the mise en scene. Yeah, and the mise en scene. <laughs> it really works for me. Come for the mystery, stay for the mise en scene. It really works for <laughs> me there. <laughs> oh, faggot. Oh, it works for me, unlike me trying to turn down and talk about Mike's music earlier. That did not work for me. <laughs> that man. Yeah. That, one, that was a miss on moment. That was a miss on yeah. scene. <laughs> I missed that moment completely. Sorry, Mike. Uh, anyway, um, Neither here nor there. I, I did enjoy it. I, I, this has kind of opened up that that door now. Now, so now I kind of, I kind of want to. Well, look that's kind of what I was hoping for. Yeah, I kind of want to look at some of these uh, now. Some of these uh, German spaghetti westerns, spaghetti quote unquote, but these uh, kind of German westerns and some of these other kind of German genres because they were, they were trying to do things in Germany. I think a lot of times we've talked about the expressionist expressionist directors such as Fritz Lang and. And uh, Von, uh, Carl is it Carl Dreyer? Is it Dreyer? Yeah, Carl Dreyer. Carl yeah. And we've talked about them. I don't know if we've really re- we've reviewed some Fritz Lang stuff, but I don't think we've ever reviewed any Dreyer stuff. Uh, he did mm-hmm. Passion of Joan of Arc and uh, Vampire. The, uh, yeah, Der Vampire. Der Vampire. Der Vampire. Which is an amazing piece of cinema if you've never seen it. Oh yeah, he's uh, a master filmmaker. It, it it often gets overlooked with uh, Nosferatu. Uh, that mm-hmm. vampire film does. Um, but man, it's it's breathtaking, and and Joan of Arc is as well. Oh, uh, one I mean, of the greatest films ever made for my money. Yeah, so it's pretty amazing with some of the stuff Tremendous. he did. But uh, German film was you know way ahead of their time. I mean, they were they were some of the uh, the pioneers of filmmaking. They really were, and I don't know if it's because of the culture they lived in or what it was. And obviously, they went through a you know <laughs> historically they went through one of the worst times in history. Um, yeah. but 
Um, it's interesting how their art was was before the war and after the war, and how it, it you know you can see the effects of it and stuff. It's very interesting to me. The kind of societal elements, and yeah, I was really thrown off by the fact that I'm watching a German film that's set in England. You know, I'm like, is this in England? I'm like, I can't tell if this is England or not. And then I see the double decker bus. I'm like, oh, okay. So you know, Scotland Yard, we're in England. All right, okay, I got you. This is weird, but you know, hey, uh, you know, I mean, that sells the movie maybe more internationally, right? And I'm, I'm guessing these movies turn to buck because they made quite a few of them. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't really have a whole lot more to add. I really enjoyed the acting was all pretty uh, normal. I didn't know nobody really stood out. Um, I guess Horst, uh, he, I guess he kind of did. But nobody really, when I think of this movie, I think of the story more than I think of the actors. Nobody really stood out to me outside of the gorilla suit, which is obviously amazing. I love gorilla suits. Oh, yeah. And this is classic gorilla suit too, man. This is... John mm-hmm. Landis Schlock S Gorilla Suit. I mean, this is old school Gorilla Suit. This is, this is. Uh, we hadn't seen 2001 yet. Gorilla Suit, or maybe, <laughs> maybe Stanley Kubrick did see this, and maybe thought, he did. Uh, I, I got. I've been reading a book about 2001. I've seen some early, some early ideas for the Dawn of Man sequence, and man, it's a good thing he went the way he went. It could have. <laughs> it could have really been bad. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I don't really have a whole lot more to add. I'm really glad I saw it, and it's, you know, like I said, it's one of those things where I've now tasted the Mr. Sugar and the Sergeant Pepper. i got to <laughs> check out a few more of these movies. I'll kick it over to you, Todd. All righty. Uh, just a couple of things to chime in with. Um, what I like is that we are, well, one of the things I like is that, uh, you know, we're quickly let in on... Uh, the gorilla gang or der gorilla bandy auf deutsch uh as being a known quantity along with their uh, their mo uh and the film itself is is really rapid fire in its pacing and certainly in its line delivery uh which if you have to read subs can make this a little difficult to follow along with but uh it also makes this thing move along at a really nice pace i think it was like an hour and 40 minutes right yeah uh but it moves by fast uh, there's a lot going on. Um, I love that the uh, the rear projections in the car driving scenes totally doesn't match the orientation of the car, um, but it still works for the style of the film, uh, being that sort of you know outside reality but you know realistic sort of thing that they got going on here. Uh, the plot is convoluted as crime novels tended to be, seemingly more so when Wallace was in his glory, uh, but. Uh, Vorer and company laid out, lay out the uh, the plot uh, in a really easy to follow fashion. That's easy for you uh, to say, Vorer. It really wasn't. It really wasn't. <laughs> Furthermore, uh, Vorer uh, shows a <laughs> you know he shows a solid hand behind the camera with his mise en scene. Um, <laughs> Would you and, say this uh, movie is Voreristic? Oh, Sammy, do have, where are your papers? Oh, yes. Uh, Please turn over your papers. Where are your papers? Uh, the film looks good, uh, and there are some nice technical moments throughout this thing. As you know, this guy were uh, he knew how and when to move a camera. Um, I think there's also some nice touches uh, when, uh, like when when uh, Sergeant Pepper frames the Ushi Glass character with his hands, and we look at her through his hands, uh, or when there's a scene when uh, when Sugar, Mister Fox. 
uh, is uh, reflected <laughs> in a guy's sunglasses while they're talking. Oh yeah, that's nice. Uh, there's these nice little stylistic touches that you know might go unnoticed, but you know I, they really are. It's really a solid uh, piece of filmmaking from uh, from Borer. So, um, you do get a nice little uh, some catfight action. Uh, at the nun's detention center slash children's home where they make oh, the yeah. creepy dolls and, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. nothing naturally is as it seems, right? Uh, totally um, uh, totally a movie-inspired factory there. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, it's uh, it's insane. Uh, there's some great artificial underwater scenery that's a blast. Yeah. Um, used a, a couple times in the movie. Um, and, you know, I could see some people being put off a little bit by some of the broader lighter elements uh for for what they might expect out of this thing but personally i think and i think that we're all generally in agreement that uh, this thing all mixes together really nicely um and like sammy said yeah now i'm i'm really kind of geared up to uh to jump into more of these i'm sure that the i'm sure that the quality is going to vary uh from from piece to piece obviously even with the same director and you know even with the same stuff people behind the camera uh, but at the same time, yeah, I, I really want to uh, to dig into this stuff. Uh, so now, of course, I will uh, wind up, you know, putting it off for another however many years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah, and that's that's, uh, that's pretty much all the all the notes that I got. I think we've covered pretty much everything you can cover on this thing. How did you feel about the mise en scene? Uh, well, you know, uh, it was just jejun. Better yet, how is Todd Phillips' use of mise-en-scene? Oh, Todd Phillips. Yeah. Well, you know, if we're talking about Joker, then, you know. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. All right, let's get into the make or breaks. Der MVT underscore. <laughs> so my make or break for this is the finale. I've been forthright in saying that I am not a detective, um, other than maybe a rock and roll detective. Nice. But, <laughs> but uh, in saying that, I've seen enough films to know that they're going to go uh, go a certain way. And I was, as Sammy said, I was genuinely surprised at how this shook out. Uh, pleasantly surprised, if you will. Um, so my uh, make or break is the finale. A lot of fun scenes throughout and some kind of cat and mouse stuff and whatnot. But uh, I really like that, that finale. The opening is really strong for me, too, though. I think it, the book ends really nicely. Yeah. Pulls you in and then you can it I think with most mysteries, though, if it doesn't have a payoff, the, a lot of the movie doesn't work sometimes. Right. You're right. Even if it's not like an overt twist or a twist, <laughs> you still, yeah, there has to be a payoff. It has to pay off for you in some way. Uh my MVT for this, that's a tough one. You know, I, I think that um, uh, Vorher does a really good job directing the film. Um, the cast is all game, but I am going to go back to, uh, I think, the like the color composition and the blocking of the film. I think it's really clean and it really struck me. Um, it's, it's used in a way that, you know, a bit traditional, but it's, like I said, there's moments with... Um, there's a lot of attention and detail paid, and it's very Germanic in its kind of cleanliness and efficiency. Like there's the red car, the woman's wearing a red dress, and you know, just the way it looks, it just it's a very visually appealing film in a low key way for me. Um, like it does, it's not flashy in an Italian way. So uh, my script is a seven out of ten. Uh, I'm glad uh, we got to do one on the show, and uh, I say Danka, Danka Shane. Uh, 
mein, not mein Fraulein, but, uh, yeah. <lacht> mein Freunde. Mein Freunde. Uh, bitte schön. A, yeah, bitte, bitte. Uh, so this is a good one, man. It's, I think for people, a lot of us have, have gone down these paths with uh, many a jali and all sorts of films. And I think this gives people a chance to step into a new world with a lot of new faces. And I think that's one of the cool things too, like Sammy had referenced, and I didn't want to barge in on him, was we're seeing a whole new host of actors. Yeah. So we really don't know. I mean, we know there's certain stock types and whatnot, but we really don't know who's who in the pecking order and what kind of term we're going to get from certain people. Because like I said, I really loved uh, Uwe. I only, know, I only know how to say Uwe because I watch hockey. And there was That's Uwe right. Krupp, That's right. Uh, hockey player. <laughs> so Uwe Friedrichsen uh, is very good as Sergeant Jim Pepper. He was fun. And I don't usually like comedic relief in films, but... He, I, I chuckled with his banter with uh, Inspector Perkins. So I'm pretty sure yeah. we've talked about Herbert Fucks before. It seems like we've... Yeah, he, he, I totally thought the same thing. I'm, I feel like he's been in something we've talked about. I mean, the guy's got 278 credits. Good God. So, I mean, I feel like gonna, there's got to be something in there that we've seen that he's been in. Well, he had to have worked in some Italian films or oh, something. Guaranteed. I'm going to look while you guys talk. Yeah. But there's, it's almost a man. It's a hell of a list. <laughs> it's a lot, Ooh, a lot of jer- a lot of umlauts in that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> doom blocks. Yeah, geez. as we used to call them. Doom blocks. I like Mark of the Devil. Maybe that one we. Mark of the Devil was the one with uh, speaking of Reggie Nalder. Oh no, yeah. that's uh, uh, that might have been Reggie. Yeah, that might have been Reggie Nalder, not him. But he obviously he gives off a Reggie Nalder vibe, right? Oh, big time. Gives well, him or like I said, Anthony James got that like the drawn in face. That uh, that like really poor skin. I just feel like I've seen him in some uh, something we've. Talked. I agree. The name seems like it's been on the show. Before. Yeah, because we would have talked about it, and then uh, it just feels like he's. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like he would have been on the show before. Um, I was just looking through. It says what he's mostly known for here is Three Musketeers from '93, <laughs> uh, which I I don't remember him in that, but maybe he was. Oh, he's in Kreutzfahrt, the Grauens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nothing nothing more relieving than a Kreutzfahrt. A Kreutzfahrt. Uh, I had a couple of them earlier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, let's get back on point here. Um, yeah, uh, my make or break. I'm going to go with uh, uh, some of the stuff at the end. There's a, a reveal, a gorilla reveal, if you will, Daddy, mm-hmm. uh, that I quite enjoyed. Um, and uh, I like that whole that whole setup at the end. Uh, it, it's 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 nicely set up. Very horror elements, very horror elementy, but it works really good. Uh, my MVT, I'm gonna go with Ver. Uh, I, I don't really know anything else. I mean, although the, some of the acting is really good in the film and the cast, and the lighting is nice, the camera works all good. Uh, I'm just gonna give it to Ver because I really don't know where else to go with it right now. But I'm curious to see some of his other work. Looks like I said he did more than a handful of these things. So I'm curious to see some of his other stuff. My score is just a little bit higher in Will's. It's a 7.25. I did uh, I did enjoy it quite a bit. It's good stuff. Nice kraut crime film. Yeah, there you go. Some sauerkraut. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so, yeah. Uh, MVT, yeah, I'm going to go with War. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's controlled. He knows how to handle the material. Uh, and he keeps this thing chugging along really, really well. Uh, make or break. I am gonna go uh, the opposite of you guys on that one. I'm gonna go with the opening. I think it's a nice, mysterious hook, uh, as well as a nice introduction into the style of the film. 
so you know what to expect while you still know uh, it has some curves coming, some twists. Um, if you will. And, if you will. <laughs> or maybe a mise en scene. Uh, <laughs> if you score won't. for me is going to be, I'm 100% in line with Sammy on this one, 7.25 out of 10. Um, yeah, this thing is, uh, it was really a nice introduction. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, it, it opened up a lot of doors. Like, uh, like Will said, not only to, to this particular, uh, sub sub genre, um, uh, but also to uh, a whole new realm of, um, of performers, uh, and, uh, and filmmakers. So yeah, yeah I'm down. And Herbert Fox was in Mark of the Devil. Yes. I was yes, going to say that. He, <laughs> he was, was also uh, in, he was also in three crazy jerks. Oh, well, I don't know if I've those seen. of you who, <laughs> He's in Mark of the Devil with another actress named Gabby Fuchs, F-U-C-C-F-U-C-H-S. So Fuchs and F-U-X, could they have both been uh, Fuchs? Or who gives a fucks? I don't know. <laughs> he was in Kuxai in Gangster's Nest Ooh. as well as Lord Kaput. Oh, nice. So, <laughs> any character uh, and named Kaput, I'm in, too. He was Kaput. Peter Pankratz <laughs> in Farah Braun. Yeah, he's he dropping a few. Uh, yeah, he's just got—he's he's got one of those great character faces. There's just a no big time. Yeah. Yeah. He does. So I'm sure he'll Secret be on the show a, again. Yeah. Secrets of a Vice Cop's Wife. That sounds like a great Italian film, but it's straight German. That's uh, Three Musketeers. He was in '93. Looks like that's the American film. In '93. Oh, is that the Oliver Platt? Yeah, that, uh, yeah, that's the yeah, the that's Crystal, Chris Connell, yeah. Chris Crystal, Connell. Crystal Donald. No, it's yeah, it's Charlie Sheen, the Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, let's, yeah. let's not sleep on the Brian Adams jam. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, all for love. All for love, baby. Yeah, yeah. Tim Curry's in that. A lot, a lot of people in that movie. I remember. I remember enjoying that one. Uh, you know, it was obviously very Hollywood. But of its I remember, time, yeah, too. of its time. But I remember liking it. All right, that's our thoughts on. Um, <laughs> Gorilla Gang. Gang. Sorry, I had a moment. Uh, we will be back and discuss uh, Jesus Carney. Uh, <laughs> my God, I'm uh, losing it here. We'll be back to talk about Carney right after this. favorite bands there masters of reality so um that song automatically came to mind because i saw i think i saw a tilt a whirl in carney i'm not sure if i did or not i believe you did i would be uh hard pressed to say there wasn't a tilt a whirl in carney i mean yeah at least in the background that would have yeah saw the uh what we used to call the octopus that thing <laughs> oh yeah and the kind of zipper car thing the i saw that in there. zipper yeah the zipper you remember the zipper Oh yeah. man, yeah, yeah. That thing can get you sick as fuck if you uh, if you're sensitive to that kind of stuff, uh, which I used to be. 
and probably would be yeah. very sensitive to it now, considering I don't really ride rides anymore. A bad back, you know, it's just it's not my bag anymore. Uh, you know, yeah, some people I grow it, some people don't. I just uh, I moved on. I moved on, guys. It's not Sammy's mise en scene. It's not my mise en scene. I uh, I'd much rather. I, I love the junk food. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm not, I'm not really big on the uh, on the rides anymore. Not a thing for me. Um. I imagine I will still end up on some, though, because I have children. So there you go. I know. Oh, I, yeah. For a fact, I know I've been on some that I didn't even want to get on. <laughs> uh, anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, Carney, uh, 1980, directed by Robert Kaler. Now, this is a long time coming. I had talked about this movie ages ago uh, and uh, brought it up to Will uh, back in the beginning of the show. I don't think he had seen it at that point. No, uh, not at that point. Yeah, he had went out and got it. We had basically talking about you know Gary Busey's clown makeup and how kind of off kilter and kind of frightening it is uh and uh, that kind of led down a hole uh rabbit hole or even a mise-en-scene and uh <laughs> we kind of talked about it and talked about maybe even covering it at some point but man time just flies right by and next thing you know you've done 480 something episodes of a show or most of that and you haven't covered that movie so here we are, finally doing this. So, Carney, 1980, directed by Robert Kaler, tired of her dull job as a waitress, Donna decides to join two carnival hustlers and see what life in their field is like. So she decides to become a Carney. And one of the great things about Carnies is, is you know, it's a, it's a work, right? It's like wrestling. It's, uh, you know, especially for many years, um, there's a lot of tricks to the trade, right? Uh, the games of chance are obviously geared toward the the uh, the joint itself, as they call it, they call them joints. <clears throat> oh yeah, and um, it's all a big trick, right? But it's all in the in the idea of families coming and having a good time. But the, really, the truth is, the carnival's out to make as much money as it possibly can, then it moves to the next town. One of the great things about the old carnivals was how adult oriented they were. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm old enough to remember going to uh, carnivals and there being strip shows there. Uh, That's crazy. Yeah, and uh, not being able to get in, unfortunately. Didn't get to do that. But I did see the ladies out front and uh, do remember all that kind of stuff and selling that and everything else. Even the bearded ladies would strip at some of the ones I used to go to. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, so, you know, there's... That's a little fucked up. Yeah, so the proclivity, you know, depending on your proclivity, you know. Um, So this one's got a lot of great actors in it, a lot of great actors from the 70s and and before. uh, Gary Busey, Jodie Foster, Robbie Robertson, I think, making his film debut here. Maybe uh, uh, guitar player for the band. You guys probably know who he is. Works with Scorsese oh, yeah. quite a bit. Uh, Meg Foster, Ken McMillan, Alicia, Elisha Click, Cook, Elisha Cook, Elisha Cook Jr., Tim Thomerson. I mean, yeah. Teddy Wilson, Bill McKinney, Bill McKinney. I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, it's amazing. Craig Wasson. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how many people are in this movie. Uh, it's also amazing how many bad characters there are in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and how much I love it because it really doesn't judge these people. These people are just seedy people. Uh, the bad guys are even worse than the carnies themselves. Uh, and uh, I find that interesting. And and what I really find interesting going back and looking at it now, I used to think it was more about the love triangle. And it is there is a love triangle in the film, but it, I think it might be more about the bromance between Robertson and Busey now. As totally. got older, and, and their love of each other. So... And how one takes care of the other and blah, blah, blah. Um, I picked this one. I don't care who wants to lead. Uh, if nobody does, I will. It's up to whomever. Uh, Todd, do you want to take a stab at it? Oh, 
I do. Oh yeah, yeah Todd, he's uh, a ball player here. We got a ball player. Ooh, Go for it. <laughs> I'm gonna step away for a minute. You ball players keep going. Yeah. yeah. So, ah, uh, well, what are you gonna hit there? You're so fucking ugly. Oh, uh. so to no one's real surprise, we get uh, Gary Busey playing an alcoholic on the Edge Clown, uh, and we get Robbie Robertson being kind of lethargic. Uh, in fact, Robertson to me, uh, he's never looked uh, to be anything other than stoned. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he, that's like that's Robbie Robertson's whole fucking thing. He always looks disinterested in everything. He's yeah, in, you know, you yeah. Know. You know who I think of every time I look at Robbie Robertson? I think of Garfield the cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he hates Mondays, but he loves lasagna. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. So, so yeah, these these two guys, yeah, they do almost complement each other because Busey's so high energy uh, compared to that. But um, this the credit sequence is pretty eerie. Uh, but it's also very misleading, mm-hmm. I think, for what's to come. Yep. Uh, and there's there's a couple of things in here that were kind of like a little off off key. Uh, most particularly, and I kind of found this um, found this uh, interesting, considering that Robbie Robertson was uh, was involved in it, is that the music uh, it was uh, not great. Uh, all all things being equal, like there's the, the, the way that it was used, like there's the music in the scene, uh, the scene right before uh, the big chaotic scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was like really low grade and crappy, uh, to mm-hmm. be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it almost sounded like a bad parody of like burlesque music. Um, but uh, you know, there's a couple of times there where it just kind of, it almost like, I don't know, it just it almost feels like library music. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. In, a, in a certain way. Yeah. And it just doesn't, it doesn't really fit. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's that, but yeah, uh, and we you know, should say, you know, he didn't score the movie. It was uh, right, right. Alex, well, but Moore, no, but I, I mean, believe. you would think that him being a producer on it, yeah, you would think uh, yeah. that he would have had some, you know, say. I'm sure in, did, uh, yeah. in the music, especially since he was a musician. I mean, Alex North did the music, and Alex North is a very well known composer. Did Spartacus right. and a few other things, but uh, yeah, I mean, it it is, for lack of a better word, it's pretty standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's it's unremarkable, uh, pretty much right down the line. Um, so let me see here. So yeah, uh, I love the patter uh, of the carnies. I mean, it's really kind of a true art form, uh, and I think the filmmakers Kaler and them uh, do a nice job capturing this. Um, it's also been a hell of a long time, and like you were saying. Uh, since uh, there's been any kind of real burlesque attraction at a carnival, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe I just haven't been to a good carnival in a long time, which <laughs> yeah. is a possibility, uh, which would figure since I haven't been to one in, in years. They're not really, uh, you know, they're not really what they used to be, right? I mean, that's a. Yeah, they're a, really, really not. And, and besides a, that, there's strip clubs for that anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you get, uh, but I, you know, I love that. I love that. And that's like the whole opening of the film is the patter of all these guys uh, and how they bring in the, uh, the rubes. Uh, the marks, whatever you want to call them, yeah. Uh, bring them in and, and you know, kind of sucker them. Yeah. Um, Craig Watson plays a, a type A aggressive shithead, which, <laughs> if I'm being really honest, he doesn't really do all that well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an okay performance. Yeah. It's a weird, I, I it's just, a weird I just one. Don't fully, I don't fully buy what he's selling. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a weird one from uh, Craig Watson too. Cause yeah, he, right. He always seems to play like a, I don't know, like a cold fish or a limp noodle. Toast, yeah. Kind of yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. A wet yeah. noodle, and here he's like he's supposed to be this aggressive. Almost Gary Busey esque aggressive character. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Robertson uh, does some does pull some real butterfly knife shit on him with that straight razor. Though. Oh man, it's all, it's, he's he's real quick. Oh, yeah, man. he's quick with that. So that's nice. Uh, you get uh, you know, there's <laughs> so. And we should maybe, say maybe, Robertson. Maybe, Robertson in his youth was a carny. Oh, was so, he? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's part absolutely. of it. he. Uh, uh, okay. He has a writing credit on here, uh, story credit, and production credit. So, you know, obviously he had been working with Scorsese some. He's a bit of a film fan. Uh, I think he just kind of got involved and uh, kind of wanted to kind of get this out there. So it's kind of an interesting, if anything, trivia-wise, it's an interesting piece of cinema for that reason alone. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Uh, so cottage cheese and mustard sandwiches oh. uh, sound not only vile, oh. but they also totally sound like something that Busey would actually eat. Uh, he probably still, he's probably eating it right now. He's probably at this very moment in time, as anyone is listening to this anywhere in the world at this specific moment. <laughs> yeah. Gary Busey is now eating a cottage cheese and mustard sandwich. I got to be honest. That. I would eat a cottage cheese and mustard sandwich. I would not stand <laughs> one foot near it. Let me tell you a story. I got <laughs> vile foods on the road. Ugh. So I was a carny. And I worked the peach baskets and I worked the spot, the, the red spot game where you'd cover it up with the metal plates. I toured around the East Coast of Canada one summer. My girlfriend's uh, family owned all the games in the Midway. So uh, I'll get to all that. But I can tell you, talking about vile foods. So you had your trailer and you would, your bunk, and you wouldn't have access to anything beyond a mini fridge, right? So you had to kind of economize. And I had a huge jar of pickled eggs. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. Every night or every week, we'd end up in a new town, and early in that morning, you have to set up your joint, which they call it a joint in this, and the authenticity is great. Yep. Um, and before my eyes were even open, I'd reach over to that jar, and I'd pop a couple <sighs> boiled eggs in my mouth, nice. or um, nice. pickled eggs in my mouth. And and I haven't had too many since, but I'll tell you, those pickled eggs got me through that summer. Yeah. Give me some what? protein, baby. Yeah. Let me tell you something. You know how you know how <laughs> when I mention boogers, your stomach turns. Oh, no. right now, pickled my eggs. stomach is fucking flipping. Yeah, this was like seven a.m. July summer morning. Oh, oh nice man. and hot too. So I that got hot sulfur egg. I just released <laughs> some pickled egg on my crack. No, the, oh. the truth is uh, I love pickled eggs. I'm, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I still eat them if I get a, get a hold of them. I don't get them that often because I could eat them all the time. Uh, and uh, But I like them uh, now as I've gotten older, obviously, I like them pickled with some jalapeno as well. So, the uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you either love them or you don't, and that's that. And that's the same thing I feel about cottage cheese. You either love it or you don't. Yeah. Uh, but cottage cheese is cheap protein, uh, and that, so it makes yeah. sense that a carny would eat cottage cheese sandwiches. It does. It does. It's, uh, it's, it doesn't. It doesn't. On the grossness of it. It doesn't change the fact that I don't like the idea of cottage cheese and bread mixed together. It's not yeah. the cottage cheese and mustard <laughs> that bothers me. It's the cottage cheese and bread that bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> if it was white bread, it'd be gross. Yeah. 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 Uh, so part of the film is about this, you know, this sort of allure of carnival life, the wanderlust sort of young people have to escape their normal lives and live adventurously, uh, whether it be on a whim or just from, you know, long periods of discontent, like the, the Jodie Foster character, yeah. you know, that's like where she cir- comes in. Yeah. Like the circus there's a romance to it. Yeah. Yeah. She's, you know, she's a waitress in a small town going nowhere, but she's, you know, she's kind of, she's also supposed to be the audience identifier. So the carny life can kind of be detailed out to us a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other part of the film is uh, about looking at the kind of people who actually belong in a carnival 
Uh, and it does take a certain mindset to be a carny, I think. Oh, yeah, uh, it does. You know, uh, there's um, the Jodie Foster character creates that friction uh, between Robertson and Busey, the real relationship of the film, as we've as we've pretty much said, uh, because she doesn't belong and she doesn't really totally understand the life, at least at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, you have like the carousel wedding uh, that we get in the film, and you know, Busey says, I think rather tellingly, that it's good for a season. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of that thing is that that impermanence of uh, of it that you know not having uh, one specific having no roots being able to just you know Papa was a Rolling Stone kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, Jodie Foster character, you know, she's breaking up that old band of Robertsons, so to speak. Yeah, life of a drift, uh, life of a drifter. Yeah. Like she doesn't really understand, right? So we're kind of right that character. We're we're seeing the thing through her eyes because we don't know anything about the carnival life. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah that's that's exactly it. Uh, you do, I mean, like like Sammy said, you do get a hell of a cast of characters here, not least of which is Elisha Cook uh, Jr., who <laughs> who just about out crazies Busey. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's oh, yeah. he's off the fucking rails, man. Yeah, talk about a um, dream moment, a dream moment of having those two on screen together. Yeah, right? Uh, and you you know how things are going to head for him when he announces that he's retiring. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, the, look, the look Ken McMillan gives him tells you everything uh-huh. right now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I like the sequence where the freaks can't perform, uh, partly because... It illustrates what it takes behind the scenes, uh, which is also one of the things I like about the movie in total. But also because you get a nice little view at the freaks as people and performers, you know, not pitiable, not feeling sorry for themselves. They're pissed right? uh, because they can't make a buck doing what they do. Uh, And this is the first allusion I think we get to Todd Browning's freaks, which I think happens at multiple times in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Though it's, you know, it's light lighter uh, than freaks is as all such references to it are, are going to be in the movie. Right. Uh, but with that in mind, the movie also touches on how, uh, carnies altogether are sometimes seen by folks when they're not on the midway, like the scene where the truckers, you know, start shit with them in the diner where Jody's kind of being a bit of a, um, <laughs> a douche. Uh, that is a way to put it. Uh, I was going to use the C word, but I think douche is probably a little more well, politic. Yeah. Well, they're uh, one and the same in some ways. Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a it's a truly uncomfortable performance at that. Uh, for me, I mean, it, it works because she's supposed to play this naive, I want to yeah. be cool character. Right, uh, right. She's trying to fit in. She's trying to fit in with her new peers. But if I, I I'm I'm, I'm totally relating to Robbie Robertson at that point, where I just like want to reach across the table and just snatch her head and be like, "Shut your fucking hole." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although you can't really tell from Robertson because he's, you know, kind of. Also, what a diverse group of truck drivers. How about it? <laughs> oh, yeah. They're all over the fucking map. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's that it's that idea um, that, you know, there's there's just these guys are all outsiders. It's not just the freaks. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure each of them at some point in time, uh, judging by the way that every time they roll into a town, they have to make special deals. Uh, with people who you know they're Im- Im- impinging on, I guess you could say, yeah. uh, for want of a better term, um, would have like, to kind of you know downplay or, or 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 not be able to make money in that particular town. Yeah. You feel like a lot of ex cons in there, obviously. Yeah, you know, yeah, carnivals yeah. and and road shows have been known to hire, uh, you know, sorted folks, obviously. Yeah. yeah, who can't get work and, anywhere else. You know, honestly, I never ever would have thought that carnies get as many groupies as they do in this movie. Oh, they do. Do they really? I can tell you. Yeah, I mean, I was I was dating at the time, but uh, a lot of the guys would love it, and there was a lot of brawls. 
Yeah. Would be, you would get in fights in almost every town because you'd be this guy that would show up and you would poach a lot of the women from the locals and they hated the carnies, man. <laughs> oh, wow. That I'm is telling fucked you, up. I got in a 30 on 30 brawl. <laughs> nice. Brawl. They're running down streets in storefronts. I mean, it was insane. <laughs> and it all starts because some. 18 year old and some 25 year old carney hooked up and hey, yeah hey. things go oh, yeah. sideways they got a lot of they call them you know what they call them they call them lot lizards yeah oh yeah well we've heard that but that that's more from uh trucking that's life. more yeah trucking yeah. yeah but no lot yeah well i guess it's it's yeah it's, so it's, the, it's, a, it's the same mentality though because you call oh, but, it yeah, but the lot, lot right? lizards yeah. generally when, when i think of them are just hookers that hang out yeah, and then the rest in wrestling world they're called ring rats and and in, and in the hockey world, they're called rink rats. Yeah. yeah. Oh dear lord. Yeah. And then in my so, world, then in my world, they're called clips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brassers. Uh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah. And speaking of which, uh, you know, Jody Foster thankfully never became a professional stripper. Um, yeah. Doesn't work here. Doesn't work. Still, she, does, still doesn't work. <laughs> It, yeah, nope. it just doesn't, man. Yeah, no. So let's talk about that. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's address okay. this this kind of elephant in the room. So she is supposed to be this, basically this piece of apple pie, this uh, yep. this very innocent, uh, all but uh, virginal character that, you know, uh, the carnies are used to a very uh, workmanlike women. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. They see her and some of the even some of the audiences in some of these small towns who deal with the carnies. They see her as this kind of virginal, uh, almost Mother Mary type of uh, uh, acquisition might be the right word. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, I can't think of any other word off the top of my head, but that's what I'm thinking. And I find it very. I mean, first of all, she's fine in the movie. I want to say that because I think Jodie and Jodie Foster typically is fine. I like her in most things she does as an actress and stuff. But she's never been what I would call uh piece of ass. Uh, well, certainly not that. But does, she's just not. There's a, something I don't know if I've ever seen a movie where I've thought that she was sexy or enticing. And no. I, and I yeah, don't, no, she's never she's never had uh, a sexual appeal. That'll yeah, lure. yeah. Uh, I, I don't, so I don't for, I, for some folks. I want to make sure I I've, I don't mean that in a rude way. I'd mean that in the way that she just literally does nothing for me in that regard. Yeah. She's well, just, I mean, but as an actress, I've always thought she's interesting. I agree yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And as a director, I find her interesting. But as a sex appeal, as an actress with sex appeal, in some of the films she's done where she's tried to kind of do that, it just, uh, just doesn't work. I think she's, for me personally, it's kind of a 50 50. Hmm. Uh, sometimes, sometimes I, I kind of, there's something about her that, uh, that I find appealing. And then other times, you know, not so much. It's kind of like, a um, a board, yeah. uh, so to speak. You know, I, I found her attractive as the Clarice Starling character in the kind mm-hmm. of her night. Okay. Yeah. I, I found her attractive as that. I kind of liked her a little bit and, you know, Foxes was the same year as this. Yeah, 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 and I liked her in Foxes a little bit, and obviously, yeah. but, I mean, it's more, it's more for, it's more uh, when I find her appealing. I think it's more her character, yeah, yeah, yeah. than it is anything else. Yeah, yeah there's certainly. something about her character uh, that I find that I find appealing, not so much physicality. But I want to say, I mean, I think she's one of the really good actors when it comes to showing like strong women on screen. 
Agreed. Yeah, yeah. And I think in it was a, a certain quiet determination quiet. and intelligence. That, that's yeah. a good, good word, quiet, because it's never overt. Like her, no. her films don't feel overly political, even though mm. they can be political. Uh, but they're mm-hmm. ne- they're not hammering you over the head. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like her kind of strong characters that she portrays are really hammering you over the head either. I think she's, no, never. she just kind of shows up. And she's kind of unisexual in that way. She can kind of play the male or female role. And, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she does it very well. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, as she's a, versatile in yeah, that way. As a hot young piece of jailbait, which is what she basically is supposed to play she in is. this film. Yeah. Uh, yes. It doesn't really quite work, uh, and it, it didn't work in Taxi Driver either. But in Taxi Driver, it's supposed to be awkward. Yeah. In this, it just feels awkward. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. In Taxi Driver, it was supposed to be that awkward and strange because she was underage and. And it, it was all part of the thing. And they don't really get into the underageness of the carny life here, but we know that exists too. I'm sure Will might have some yeah, stories. Yeah, I, I certainly tried to stick yeah. there, but there was a few guys that were known. Yeah, sure. To try to trade in those waters, and it, you know, it's yeah, uh, yeah yep. that's gross. Yeah, it is. But I mean, obviously, it's a reality. It's it's out yeah. there. So. No big time. But yeah, she just doesn't. I mean, she essentially she's you know. This she's I, I joked around on things. She's kind of built like a surfboard, and she just kind of feels that way. She yeah. feels very stiff in everything she does. Oh, but maybe that's intentional because. But that, my, I, well, I think yeah, I was good. I was just going to say I think that that's kind of intentional, yeah. particularly in this because she's do she the whole reason that she's there in the first place, yeah, is because she's lying, yeah. So well, they're like, you know what? Well, I'm gonna fucking, I'm gonna fix your wagon. Well, she's she's the Yoko Ono character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's she's, exactly what she is. She's quote unquote yeah. there to break up the Beatles, brah. Yep. Yeah. But uh, yep, yep. but at the same time, you know, there is a there is an arc to her character. Yeah, absolutely. I think does it 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 ends up being a pretty interesting performance. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so okay, so the, uh, but this scene. Uh, this particular scene, uh, the stripper scene, if you will, uh, I think it leads to the key scene of the film, uh, and whether what happens and that happens. Is, that is the scene where she hangs the thing off her nipple. That one lady. That's the key yeah. scene we were talking about, right? Because I mean, yes, that, it is. That's, that's all. That, that's all I can think about. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Want to hang uh, hang a fang on that motherfucker? Yeah. <laughs> she might let you. Um, and uh, whether what happens happens for whatever reason, at least to emotional and physical violence. Uh, but more than that, um, I think that it strips the dream of being a carny away to some degree or another. Yeah. Uh, and it's this dream that the Busey character especially always uses to elude his problems. Yeah. You know, and that's why uh, Busey, Busey, like, he needs the cage. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's why he's always telling Robertson to get in it. Yeah, because there's that there's that certain there's a certain level of connection that he wants to feel a certain um, interpersonal connection that he wants to feel with Robertson sure. that the cage he feels would give him. But Busey needs that cage. That's when he's alive. Uh, that's when he you know can let out his demons and kind of exercise all of that shit out of him. Right. Um, and I think that that's you know kind of the, the key to the movie. Uh, even though there are. You know, there's no fruit stands uh, to speak of in the film, but at least one concession stand does get demolished. That's right. So you could say that. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things I took away from it, man, a burger and a Coke for a dollar. How about that? Man. I, it made, dude, it made, it made me fucking hungry for like greasy spoon food. In fact, wasn't it two burgers and two Cokes? I don't remember. I don't know. He gave her, he gave Elisha Cook Jr., he gave him two bucks. 
But I think it was he said it's he was keep the change. Yeah, yeah. So. Oh, he's a good he's a good yeah. tipper too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Is that the scene so. where he says I'm not an astronaut or something like that? Or uh, yeah, yeah. Such a bizarre performance <laughs> from Cook. Which, yeah, he's just fucking. Yeah, and then when he's got the invisible dog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, so being so, uh, sort of a road movie, uh, the, this has a really uh, casual approach to it. Um, you know, just watching these characters peeking in on their lives for a while is kind of more or less how it's put together. Uh, but then it takes these like melodramatic turns, like uh, you know how the how the music turns really ominous. Uh, when Robertson is talking to the stripper concession guy, uh, and also like, and this is you know when the Bill McKinney character shows up, the film takes on a slightly different flavor because he's almost like a, a cartoon bad guy in some respects. Oh yeah, uh, and this aspect of the story I felt feels contrived uh, to a large degree because there's no overarching plot involving this character or any of his machinations up until this you know moment in time. Well, so the movie gets the movie gets really kind of dark here. Yeah. But it's also here that I would suggest the film gets closest to uh, Todd Browning's Freaks again. Yes, so, it does. Uh, unfortunately, it's odd because you think it's going one way that's wildly off timbre. Uh, but then the movie jukes again. And then somehow I felt that it was less satisfying with its turns mm. once you see a couple of things that happen in this yeah. in this moment. I yeah. mean, I, I kind of felt like, okay, you're really going off the rails here. But then it, it steers it back and it's like, oh, well. Yeah. Now I'm kind of disappointed. That you well, did yeah, that. yeah, you, you kind of got played like the the carny yeah. folks. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, but uh, I mean, that was you know, you were a mark. kind of the carny like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the I I actually I, I don't really enjoy. Well, I do like Bill McKinney. I like him in everything he does because oh, yeah, yeah. nobody plays Southern sleeves. He's a he's a cocksucker in the <laughs> worst way. Oh, is he ever? Man, he is like the he. There's a master. If there's a master level of redneck trash. Bill McKinney he, is at the he's top. He's attained it, man. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. got the glow. He's got like the, the you know Leroy's got the glow. Bruce yeah. Leroy, man. I've he's always, got like the redneck glow. Yeah, I've always heard he's like a or he was like just a generally nice guy. But man, he just had the look and the performance, and he just. Of course, it doesn't help that he's in one of the most memorable scenes in cinema history. But, oh yeah. Uh, uh, but he always every time he shows up, you're like, Ugh, things are about to get gross because McKinney's yeah. involved. Um. I kind of like that they're so car- he's cartoonish in a way, kind of this kind of evil foghorn leghorn. And the reason why, I think they had to go that route because the carnies themselves. So one of my notes for this movie is, as I truly miss films where they there were no, nothing but unsavory characters in a movie. I mean, there's not really right. anybody in this movie that isn't tainted in some way. There's I don't think right. there's any angels or self righteous. Well, maybe self righteous isn't the right word, but righteous characters in this. Everybody's on the on the play, right? It's kind of right. like it's all dirty characters. So I think you almost have to have. Not saying it's not correct what you're saying, but I think you have to have cartoonish something for them to have well, some kind of there because they're already quite bad themselves. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I think that they come off. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, they're they're bad themselves, but they the carnies and the the people inhabiting the carnival, whatever. Uh, they come off as at least human. Yes. Yeah. Whereas when the McKinney character comes in, then it becomes a cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. certainly. And so I, I just saw that there's that weird yeah. dichotomy between the two. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's for me. I think it's movie stakes. Like it. It. It needs to be there for well, the drama. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's, very it's, much. It's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Up until yeah. that point, it hasn't really felt like. Yeah. 
movie a movie movie it's felt like a slice of life watching yeah. the carnies do their sure, thing sure. going from town to town having their interpersonal uh squabbles and and that sort of thing and then you get this thing happen and it just it completely takes a fucking left turn in in tone it does uh that it just doesn't really it doesn't land for me uh, like I would like the rest of the movie does because I, I enjoyed the shit out of the rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does definitely take a shift in tone. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so got that, 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 that. Uh, so yeah. Uh, and then finally, you know, it, it all ends with a happier than expected ending. Uh, complete with the music again, which is weird. Uh, that sounds pulled from an MGM musical. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like I said, I mean, you said that Alex North has uh, has done a lot of stuff, and I I completely believe that, but I, I don't think uh, he really did this movie that much of a service. Well, I mean, most uh, of it was yeah. I mean, most of it was old school stuff like Spartacus and things like that. I mean, I mean, it it feels like a guy that is out of his element music wise. Yeah. Uh, well, but I mean, it just it just feels. In, uh, it doesn't fit the the music doesn't seem to fit the scenes that it's in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It either goes way too high, or it's just really just not a natural fit for it. I'm sure that this is I'm sure that this is a huge you know more like a personal thing than almost anything else. Yeah, but uh, but that's the way you know that's what I I took out of it. So. Sure, sure. I, I I think the music suffers too. I mean, I think obviously the best music in the film is probably the carnival music itself and. Uh, when you hear that kind of stuff, which obviously isn't him, I mean that's just grabbing stuff. But I think about I look through Norse uh, filmography and it's stuff like Willard and and uh, Spartacus and I guess uh, trying to, the Pritzy's on. It looks like he worked with John Houston. Oh, he did Dragon Slayer. Oh wow! Uh, okay, so he did that the next year. So there you go. <laughs> like so, we've talked about him before, probably. Oh yeah, in some I'm way, sure. shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, but that's all the notes that I got. So nice. One nice. of you guys wants to jump on in. Will, what you got? What'd you think right, on your so. revisit? I think you saw. You've seen this a couple times now. Yeah, I've seen it a couple times now. Um, you guys touched on the cast. It's got a great cast, and you know some of it's kind of blink and you'll miss it stuff. Thomerson's in a couple small scenes. Yeah, Fred Ward's um, in there very briefly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we go up and down the list here, which I know you guys already did a little bit. Wasson is. It's funny. He's miscast but somehow it works for me because that projecting of an alpha male that's ill-fitting suits him and you you tend to see that sometimes um this feels so much like a warner archive film to me yeah like it just kind of fits in that wheelhouse um this kind of falls in that realm of late 70s or early 80s that i just love it's it's when i think think you know, and this isn't um, a unique stance, but when I really feel that American film was at its its best for me in terms of something we always talk about with, uh, and you guys have touched on this, films that were content to observe and mm-hmm. go along with the lives of its characters without really passing any judgment. Mm-hmm. And characters were allowed to be morally... Um, Ambiguous ambiguous or questionable they were allowed to be real they were allowed to have flaws and they were allowed to have good traits because i don't think that Busey or robertson or certainly not foster any of the kinds are, are portrayed as reprehensible maybe one or two you know but for the most part they're, they're they're fleshed out fully breathing characters they're not caricatures uh everyone feels fairly real i mean mckinney yeah is, is really a scumbag but 
you know, the, the film does change at that point. But Although um, I think McKinney's henchman might be a bigger scumbag than McKinney. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Who who played him again? I don't, uh, I don't know who that actor was, but man, he was he was he a, was a total scumbag. He was man. He was terrible. Oh man, he was bad. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that one of the things I really love about this film is its authenticity, not only to being a character study, but to that life. And I can tell you that life has been um, lampooned, and it's it's been played very broad as a lot of sort of. Uh, little kind of subcultures have and and this really does get it a lot of the the lingo they use is very authentic even little things that the average viewer wouldn't know about but you know for example like the the lead guy on the lot driving around a golf cart i mean that was that was the case you know they drove around golf carts because it was a quicker way to get around the lot you know get in and out of things and um it's just i really like that i really like seeing that um, and I think, you know, just to see this kind of environment on film, it's a bygone era. You guys have touched on this. The carnival, as we knew it as children, is is gone. It's dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get a little bit of it, but you get places like, um, I don't know if you guys have Dave and Buster's or Palladium there. Dave and Buster's. Uh, we have down in Philly, there's a Dave and Buster's. Yeah, so you get, that kind of scratches the game itch for a lot of people. And then, of course, video games have taken over. A lot for people, right? Yeah, so, yeah, uh, different thing altogether. Um, yeah, but there, yeah, there, it's a wildly different thing. There's no, no, the, it, a, a video game can still fuck you over, but not quite the same thing as uh, having a joint, right? No, yep. no, exactly. And I can tell you, it's funny just seeing them work a few of the joints and to see the uh, Wasson character every night. You had. You know, the, the 18-year-old, the 20-year-old, or the 30-year-old guy who's trying to run that piece for his girlfriend. Yeah. Every night, man. And it's there's times where you, the guy was seemed like a decent guy. He'd say, listen, just go buy her dinner or something, you know? <laughs> Some of them wouldn't, man. They'd want to spend the money. And sometimes you blow off a piece to a guy, and, you know, then you create a nice tip. You get a good crowd, right? And then that's, that's business. Because you even see that in the film where... Robertson, they blow off a piece to Robertson, and he kind of parade, you know, doesn't really parade around, but he's got the big stuffed animal, and yeah, he hands, uh, hands it off to somebody, and they put it back in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then all the uh, like the local folk, they call them mooches, like all the mooches <laughs> would, uh, you know, would kind of ooh, big stuffed animal. Where'd you get that, right? Yeah. So yeah, um, I really love the leads in this, uh, and Foster's great, but I think she's she's also great at. Uh, being great in experience and in out of her depth or in over her head. Whereas I really love the, the relationship with Robertson and Busey. Um, they just feel very weary. It feels like a very familiar friendship. And it reminds us that Robertson could have been really great had he continued to work with the right actors and had he been interested. And also reminds us um, of Busey being more than just a, a cartoon. I mean, he's, he's, yeah. So I, that brings up an interesting point. Uh, Gary Busey, you know, at one time, we'll, we'll talk about Gary Busey again next week, but one at one time, uh, Al Pacino and Dustin Hoffman thought the future of acting was Gary Busey. And that's not an unfair or an inaccurate statement because yeah. if you look back at his early career, he was a very, very – he was almost like a, a Mickey Rourke in a way where he had an intensity and, and an emotional authenticity that was rare in uh, yeah. young actors. He just probably didn't have the sexual sexuality that Rourke, yeah, had, Rourke that, had that, that looks, but, but there's certainly, I remember a quote from Dustin Hoffman or somebody 
It was either Hoffman or Pacino, but they said they never worked with an actor who delivered dialogue in a more natural way than Gary Busey. And when I think about Gary Busey, obviously he became Gary Busey. He became a, uh, a caricature, caricature. Of, of himself. But when yeah. in the 70s and the early 80s, he was really on. He was really pretty natural on screen. Sure, he was Gary Busey, but there was nobody else like him. No, not that I can think of. There was nobody else like him. No, and even in a way, he was a bit like a Brando, where the, you know he could bring this intensity that, yeah, he just he was unflappable. He, yeah. he had this thing that, yeah, he was great. And even in this, we see some of the scenes where, where he's engaging with the the locals when he's in the cage, um, in the dunk tank. <laughs> They're, they're great. I'm willing to bet you he improvised some of that dialogue. Oh, I have no doubt. It sounds like Gary Busey-isms coming out of his mouth. Yeah, and it's it's really great. It's it's really, really good stuff. Yeah. Um, we got a poster child for birth control out there today. Oh, yeah. He's zigging them, and it, he's great. It's a great... <laughs> that G-Arter jacket's ever gruesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Come on. No, he's just... He's, Come he's on, lashing all kinds of people. Yeah. Man. He's really great in the role. Uh, and again, as is Robertson, right? He's more low-key and he's really believable. And I think I know you guys had, uh, and I think I can see some of the, the problems with it taking a more cinematic turn because up until uh, it takes a real turn in that respect, it feels very authentic and lived in and just, you're. it's almost observational in a way. You're just kind of, you know, uh, looking at the life of these people without this need for a very inorganic kind of uh, a story arc, right? Yeah. It's just kind of town to town road movie and it's very kitchen sinky. Uh, and even the love triangle feels very kitchen sinky real. If you want to call it a love triangle, it's more, you know, just a, not really a triangle, but it just, they're thrust into a triangle of sorts um, because of their proximity with each other and their living arrangements and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see something like this, and, and it could have been a really good long-form show. I never watched Carnival, but I think that had more fantastical elements. It did, but uh, it certainly had a lot of the dialogue and a lot of the kind of inside baseball type stuff that you see yeah. here, too, as well. That's cool. So, so yeah, those, those I, are age-old tricks, right? Those are, those absolutely. Were, you know, generated in the early part of American history, the Carnival. Oh, yeah, and this is, to me, very much a slice of Americana. Yeah. yeah. It's a very American film. Yeah. Um, yeah, the CD side, but certainly a side of it, right? Uh, a part of it, yeah, absolutely. Now it's interesting. I couldn't find her name in the credits, but there's the one burlesque dancer, not Sugary. So both films this week have characters with sugar in their name, and both are adapted from. Uh, <laughs> I think there were, this was a, a book before it was. Uh, I believe it was, yeah. Yeah, so both of our films this week were adaptations. Well, like, both of our films this week are normal films with horror elements. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, the opening for this is so. So creepy. Well, not only that, but that, that trick they play on Bill McKinney's character. Oh man! Yeah, I, let's. Yeah, I remember seeing that as a kid, and I remember thinking, "Jesus!" <laughs> oh yeah, shit got real. Um, but uh, there's a character, not Sugary, but one of the other, the other African American or the other mixed uh, black female. She was one of the Lizzies in the Warriors. Man, I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I couldn't find her name in the credits, but I know it was her. I thought you were more of a monkey lady kind of guy. Yeah, right? Oh, man. Yeah, she. what else has she been in? That monkey lady? Yeah. Yeah, something. I, I, I I've seen her in a few things. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what else? Do we, the film feels appropriately cramped, which I really like. Uh, what else do we got here? Uh, not much else. Um, 
yeah, no, not much else really. Just uh, yeah, those are all my notes. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would, I enjoy going back. I hadn't seen this in a while. It's been a long time since I'd seen it. Um, but I, I enjoy going back and looking at it. Uh, I saw this film way too young. This was like one of the first films that I saw on cable quite often. Oh, wow. Uh, growing up, and uh, it didn't. Uh, yeah, I couldn't really process some of the stuff I was seeing. So I would have probably seen it eighty one, eighty two. I'd guess somewhere in that era. So I would have been eight or nine. Um, and some of it's just a little too much for like, probably a kid that age to process. Oh yeah, uh, um, it is. But the clown, it's odd. So, so the horror elements didn't freak me out, but the Gary Busey with the clown makeup did freak me out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And. Uh, you know, I don't know if it gave me a lifelong aversion to clowns, but I never liked clowns. I'm not terrified of them, but I've never been comfortable around somebody in clown makeup. And just not, I'm, I'm not comfortable around people dressed as animated characters. None of that stuff. It, it all makes me uncomfortable. I, I don't know how to act. Am I supposed to act like they're cute? Am I supposed to? Hu- I know there's a person under there. Am I supposed to hug them? I just yes. don't feel right. You know, my kids will be around them, and you know, like Mickey Mouse, and I'm like, oh, this is awkward. I know it's probably some girl in there who. You know, when she gets off, she's going to throw down a six-pack and, you know, who knows what else, you know. It's it's just weird. It's just weird. And I actually worked with a person who was an HR person for Disney. And they have all of these really strange requirements, which I won't go into on the air here, to be these characters. you got to be a certain height. you got to be a certain type of gender. you gotta be a, you got to act a certain way. you got to make sure you're not seen in public in certain aspects. If you play Peter Pan, you can't go out in public and you can't be Peter Panish in any way, shape, or form. There's all these rules, and and it's a bizarre world, <laughs> you know. It just it's a world that I don't live in, so it's very strange to me. <sighs> and, and the carny world is very strange in that way, uh, to me because you know I'm I'm not a grifter by trade. Like I, I just that's something you'd have to train in or grow up in to really kind of be a part of that, right? I mean, we'll work in there for a season or so. Uh, Robbie Robertson as well, working for a season or so, you know, learning to hustle is one thing, but being a lifetime hustler is something totally different. Different altogether, man. Yeah, you you see the, you know, the lifers, you know them. And I'll tell you another little small detail that's great is all the gold jewelry on Alicia Cook Jr. That's such a trademark, man. Carney's love, you know, the jewelry and it's, uh, it's one of those things. It's just, it's it's an interesting world and, uh, you know, it, uh, it does remind me a little bit that Carnival show that was on HBO. That does have some fantastical elements, but I would highly recommend that show if you're into that because it does. to check it out. It, it it does have those kind of elements of showing you the trick, you know, and, and and how they do things and how they you know sucker people in for more money and all that kind of good stuff. And you're right, you know, a lot of these places like Dave and Buster's and stuff like that. That's that's the modern carnival. I mean, that you go in there, you're basically legalized. You know, it's basically legalized gambling. You're spending. 90 bucks to buy a $5 stuffed animal, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, a, it's just a big trick. And if you know that, like me, I'll go in there and play games with my son stuff and do stuff. And I know that I'm going in there to drop a hundred bucks and, and I'm going to buy something that's worth maybe 10 cents. But you know, it, for me, I'll justify it by saying it's part of the experience because you know, there aren't carnivals anymore. And I don't know, you know, if, if there will ever be carnivals in the sense that they used to be, um, I can just remember, you know, guys in in front of games, you know, smoking cigarettes incessantly, big belt buckles, tattoos that I questioned were done in a <laughs> tattoo parlor or not in a prison. You know, I just remember some, there were some dark, unsavory people around those things, you know, because we go, you know, there'd be one at like a local parking lot that would be there for like the weekend. And we go every day. Yep. We go Friday night, Saturday night, and we go Sunday during the day. 
uh, and ride rides and play games and stuff and probably drove my parents crazy now that I think about it. But we would do that and we'd be around this lifestyle. And I, I remember in some ways being enchanted by the lifestyle. It sounded neat, like the circus lifestyle sounded neat. You have that moment. I think a lot of young people do. Um, but obviously I got out of it pretty quickly when I started, you know, when some of the guys would smile and they had no teeth and blah, blah, blah. You know, some, <laughs> some of the, uh, the, the, the shine, that sheen kind of went away pretty quickly. Um, I, you know, I still enjoy this movie. I, I think it's really well done. It's not very stylish, obviously. Kind of both of our movies this week are kind of stayed. I do like that one shot a lot that's on the, mer- fer- uh, the merry-go-round. Is it a Ferris wheel? No, it's a Ferris wheel. They've took a, obviously they took a camera up on a Ferris wheel at some point during the making of this movie, and they shoot that scene up high, and you think, how are they shooting that? And you realize either one, it's on a dolly, or it's on the Ferris wheel, because it's kind of going up, and then it's kind of coming back down. So either the one, they put it on the Ferris wheel, or two, they just made a dolly act like, a, or like a boom lift, act like a uh, Ferris wheel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like that shot a lot. Uh, yeah, Robbie Robertson, I, I like Robertson. I've never always loved everything he's done. Uh Acting wise, he doesn't do a whole lot, but he does always look kind of stone and disinterested. Uh, um, but it, it kind of works, especially for his character here, because he seems like he's kind of tired. You know, he's tired of, of playing the game, of working the working the work and doing the job, and he's just you know he's wore out. He's he's gotten away from it. He's got his own thing. He is a master. Let's say this of Robbie Robertson, a master of the pork pie hat and the vest combo. <laughs> I mean, yeah he, that, that's a look not many can pull off but yeah, he does i mean he's like ninja level when it comes to that like eighth it's degree true. black belt vest wearing uh you know and it's not that vest that you see most people it's that kind of in between vest that kind of yeah that rock and roll vest that only you know david yeah. roth or somebody could have rocked you know eddie van halen vest one of those kind of deals but it uh he he rocks it quite a bit in this uh, but I like all the I like all the sign language too. Yeah, the one one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the scene where he comes up to the uh, the bozo uh, joint and he's he's doing all the stuff with the the hands, like he taps the three balls on his heart for you no know, to let Gary Busey know to go after the girlfriend, to to start ragging oh, yeah. to start ragging Craig Wasson on the girlfriend to kind of get him get him going get him motivated. And I, you know, I can remember vividly uh, clown dunk tanks, uh, but I don't remember them being this aggressive. I do remember there was some attractions that would be aggressive. I remember yeah. that, and people would get a little heated, but I don't remember the clown dunk tanks doing that. I do remember a clown dunk tank, and I remember dunk tanks in general. But eventually that became where you could get in the dunk tank, right? And then somebody could throw it at you and if you wanted to get in there. And I always thought that water's got to be gross. <laughs> Oh, yeah. man. Yep. It's got to be gross. Probably a nice oily film on it. I oh. like, ooh, yeah. Especially from Gary Busey's hair. Yeah, right? Just naturally. Oh. <laughs> it looks greasy throughout the movie. Or all the, the cottage movie. cheese and mustard sandwiches. I don't I don't know if there's ever a moment in this movie where his hair looks combed. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Well, I think for years he never even bothered. I don't think a, a comb saw that fucking mane. Yeah, so. I know. You're probably right. probably right. Um, obviously, you know, his story is a story of uh, Gary Busey, the actor. His story is a story of tragedy in a lot of ways because you know he's he got hooked on drugs and alcohol and and he has he had some bad luck um you know and he wasn't always a good person i'm not sitting here taking up for him but at one point he uh he was a hell of an actor i mean he really was and i think a lot of people forget that because they've seen him become gary Busey, this guy who you know like some people have said i mean the guy has pretty he has brain damage i mean he's not the same person he was in the 70s Bad accident, right? I think. Yeah, yeah, bad motorcycle mm-hmm. accident. He hit his head on a curb. Well, yeah, it's it's kind of tragic and 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 interesting that he went from being, like you said, uh, 
the future of acting to being a punchline. Yeah, yeah. And really, uh, all it is kind of is, is, is his own fault. It's his own kind of misgivings mm-hmm. and his own kind of, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a cautionary tale. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but he's had so many uh, kind of bad moments in his personal life, and he's kind of shared that it's like, you know, Jesus Christ, you, you almost feel bad for the guy. I mean, but then you also realize a lot of it's kind of brought on himself. And one of the good things is he's kind of realized it's kind of all brought on himself. Now he does these really weird uh you know, religious things, and you know he's he's done some really strange religious films, and uh, he's, <laughs> he's just done some strange stuff over the last few years. But hey, oh, you know what? As long as he's off the sauce and off the powder, and hopefully that's the case, and maybe he's having living somewhat of a normal life. But I mean, the guy, you know, a piece of his brain was removed from that accident. You know, I mean, he's got he's not the same person he once was, and it's it really is a shame because you know I ha- I like the fun action movies he made. And I like the movies where he was generally really acting. You know, the surfing movie, Big Wednesday, was it? And then, of course, I like the Buddy Holly story a lot. I think he's really good. Oh, yeah. And and a lot of the movies he did, you know, we've had a lot of fun with him on the show over the years for his insanity. But he actually was a really good actor. And he really kind of puts both of those together here. You get the full-blown Gary Busey going full tilt here. uh, And you get the kind of quiet, reserved Gary Busey uh, here. And I like that. I like the the gorilla esque way he jumps on the cage. That's a nice little touch that he does. Yeah, that yes. gives it a little bit of ferocity. Really nice. Almost, almost uh, Soho esque. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Two gorillas in the same show. How about that? That's right. Um, also, I, I admire the fact that back then people didn't fix their teeth. Yeah, yeah. not yeah. so much. Yeah, you know, if, that, if that had been Ben Affleck, like, he would have smiled. Those teeth would have been perfect. But man, Gary Busey, when he smiles in this movie, you're looking at him going, "Damn!" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're just they're they're the Gary Busey's teeth. There's no doubt about that. Uh, of course, he don't have those teeth anymore. Uh, <laughs> if you see him now, he's got perfectly white teeth, um, or real teeth, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I did enjoy the Robbie Robertson Busey relationship probably the most. I mean, obviously these guys are alcoholics and addicts, and and you know they're getting by, they're scraping by in their life, and it's kind of a dark tale. But there's a genuine love for each other, I think. Uh, and when I say bromance, I know we we often joke about that, but they they get in fights like brothers do, uh, they make up like brothers do, and they love each other like brothers do. Um, and I think it works really well. Uh, Jodie Foster's character adds a wrinkle to their relationship, but it never goes. You think it's going to go one way, and then it kind of comes back around and goes a different way. I think. Like mm-hmm. I think the stereotype would have been for something more to happen with the triangle. But Busey, even though he's hurt by what happens, he still loves Robbie Robertson. He still loves the character of Patch, because that's been the one steady relationship probably in his whole life. And I like those elements of the story. Also, I think Ken McMillan does a really good job of playing the carnival owner. He's um, really good. Yeah, plaid pants are a nice touch. But the uh, J&B on the uh, – I don't know if you guys saw the J&B Ooh, on the bar. Nice catch. I didn't get it. Yeah, it's on the, it's nope. on the bar. Well, matter of fact, that's uh, Bill McKinney's choice when he's in that room. He's, he's drinking all his scotch, drinking the J&B. Like oh, McKinney, he knows what's going on. McKinney knows he's part of the GGTMC. <laughs> he's either got bunny rabbits in his trunk or pork loin and Ned Beatty, <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> Amazing, man. Yeah. Squeal! Anyway, uh, I, I I think the what I come away from this, uh, you know, I probably liked it more when I was younger and I saw it. I still like it. I will agree with Todd. It does kind of amp up into some cartoonish elements because I think it has to. 
And I don't know necessarily if it needed to. Um, I feel like the director or even the studio maybe felt like it had to. It does feel like that. It feels like something like, look, we got to raise the stakes here. We got to do something. But, you know, you got all these seedy characters. How can we make it? <laughs> how can we make them somewhat heroic? Well, I got an idea. Let's put, you know, five guys in that are the worst pieces of trash ever mm-hmm. and make it even worse, you know. Uh, and that's what it feels like. It feel, there was an era of cinema that did this. They put in five or six guys, and they would be so much more worse than, you know, the slashers obviously always had this kind of character. They always had the guys that were kind of misogynistic and going for the girls. Then they had the guy that was rapey. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. so they always got to take it up a notch. And uh, they do a good job of doing that here, but I don't know if it all together works. I like it, but I would say it's not for everybody. Uh, really what I generally like about the movie the most is it's just a character piece. It's a nice moment to see these carnival characters uh, be people. Uh, and and it's, it's unlike Freaks in a way because Freaks kind of uh, stayed on the characters to kind of show you the freakishness of the characters, the quote-unquote freakishness of the characters, but also to kind of give you some humanity of them being normal people. This mm-hmm. one really kind of sticks to the more normal people aspects of it and the, the, the kind of facade of the freakishness is just kind of there. Right, right. Well, that's that's why I said. I mean, it's really kind of light when it refers to yeah. to that movie. Although it, it is in there. Yeah. So I kind of liked all that stuff, and it's two weeks in a row now. We've had a music video basically in the middle of our movie. This one's got the 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 fat boy singing the song, and I gotta admit, I kind of enjoyed. I don't remember that at all growing up watching this movie. I gotta admit though, I enjoyed his song. <laughs> I was gonna look for it to play for the show, but I, I kind of liked the I kind of liked the song. <laughs> And I, I like that weird moment where he's out in the rain. Uh, I like that quite a bit. Robbie Robertson's obviously coked up or high or drunk or one or the other, and he's looking out there and he sees uh, what's I don't know what his name is. That's called him Fat Boy because that's what's said on that thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Harold, Harold, maybe Harold the Fat Boy, maybe. Was, uh, you know, that's a tender moment. I really like that moment, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I like that they don't lampoon the fat guy. The fat guy. Agreed, and that's the yep. thing. They respect uh, George Emerson, right? They respect yeah. him enough to, to give him a moment, and it's not played like really maudlin and, and yeah. overly sentimental. But there's there's a certain pride uh, about it and a yeah. respect. And they respect it, actually. I like. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like Todd Browning's Freaks in a way. They respect all of the carnival actors in this. Yes. And, and that is nice because those are people too. That obviously it's a strange job and a strange career they've gotten themselves into. Sure, it's not society mm-hmm. in society terms, it's not normal, but no. at the same time, they're people, and I kind of like how they treat them that way. Uh, I've always appreciated that about Browning's Freaks as well. Yeah, you uh, see all of them eating lunch together or breakfast, like Busey and, and yeah. Robertson. It's not just them sectioned off by themselves. You know, it's yeah. I, I like that. It's a yeah. small touch, but it's it's a nice touch. Yeah, it's probably something to be said when Gary Busey's sitting at the table with a bunch of carnival freaks and they're looking at him thinking, Jesus Christ, this guy's crazy. Because, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, like I said, Busey, you know, he was just amping it up. This is 1980, so he was well into because he'd already been nominated for an Oscar, I believe. And, his career had uh, really kind of blown up, so I'm sure he, I'm sure the powder was flowing, no doubt. Oh yeah, he's doing rails, oh, yeah. rails off them nipples, thereby. No doubt, man. Uh, but the story of the film, it, it is pretty much a love triangle, fish out of water type story, but with some seedy elements, and I think it works. I think it's, uh, it's not overly shot, it's not super stylistic, but I think the story still works, and I still like. I like spending time with these characters. I like spending time with oh, these yeah. actors, and uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I can't think of what else Robert Kaler has done. 
I don't know. If Not much. Nothing yeah, that I can surprisingly. Think of off the top of my head. Yeah, I think. Yeah, no, he didn't do much. He did two movies. Nobody's perfect, and this. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a shame. Um, I think he did one more, right? I think you said two. I think there was one more in there. There's a couple of documentary shorts or something, but the Nobody's Perfect film. Derby? Uh, yeah, it's a, that's, a, that's a documentary, I think. But the Nobody's Perfect film, that's a Chad Lowe joint. Yeah, that's like a, a gender kind of swap uh, yeah. comedy, right? Like teen yeah. comedy. So yeah. it's, it's very curious, you know, because I think Kaler showed a real knack, and he could have probably worked at least until about 86 before things got really cokey and overblown. You would think uh, it's really too bad. I don't know what happened, but I, I yeah. thought uh, you see something like this, and it shows such a, a steady, confident, nuanced hand. Yeah, didn't do a whole lot. Yeah, I guess, and I guess his wife, uh, she helped write this. So, um, yeah, so he passed away not too long ago. All right, uh, that's all I got, though. Let's get into make or breaks MVTs. Ty, what you got? Alrighty, uh, MVT. I am giving it to Busey. Uh, I don't know if it's his insanity, his energy, or what, uh, but he really seems to embody the heart and soul of the film. Uh, and he feels, I felt, uh, that he feels the most genuine of the main characters. Um, make or break, I'm going to go with the first scene uh, with the cage and the dunk tank there. Uh, I think Busey really shows himself off there. He's insanely charming uh, with his little litany of insults. Um, and it feels like he's done this his whole life. Uh, and I think that this shows the best of what this film has to offer. Uh, score for me is a uh, seven out of 10. Uh, I dug it. It was a first time watch for me. Nice, um, nice. you know, glad I finally caught up with it and, uh, yeah, good stuff. I still think that Robbie Robertson is about as dead <laughs> as dead can be, but you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's uh, <laughs> like I say, he's Garfield, man. He hates Mondays and loves lasagna. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the, uh, you know, also I want to say, I go back to my notes a little bit. One of the things I also love about this movie, it's a little thing, but I've always loved these little moments. I love that it bookends with a trailer opening and a trailer shutting. Oh, nice. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I like that. Also, I didn't realize until we started talking about it, but Ken McMillan and Elisha Cook Jr., we talked about them with Salem's Lot, right? They were in that movie. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, we did. That's crazy. Yeah, when they were, uh, he was the drunk and uh, McMillan was the sheriff. That's crazy. It's funny. This is a very low key, very GGTMC cast. Yes, big time. Thomerson, Foster, uh, Meg, Meg, uh, Meg yeah, Foster. We didn't really talk about Meg Foster. We didn't really talk about how. Well, Fred Ward sexual. shows up for like two seconds. Fred Ward, yeah. Yeah, I, I really, really like Meg Foster's look in this movie. She's, yeah. you know what? She's a bit underutilized. They could have used her more in like a big sister, yeah, motherly role, and it would have added some nice. Uh, flesh to the film i mean that i don't like, mean she, she's supposed delicious. to be like was she supposed to be like exotic or like i don't think so i think she, she it just, almost it almost looks like they they made her like it almost looks like she was really tan yeah. which i'm not really used to seeing her yeah she looked really orange she almost looked orange <laughs> yeah yeah they i think they'd said like they they were up the south right so maybe yeah. just being out in the sun all maybe. day maybe. you know i got a good tan yeah i didn't look like meg foster mind you but yeah um, who could who does yeah, yeah. Yeah, low key sexy in this to me. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree, for sure. Uh, she had a look. Uh, okay, so for me, make her break. Sammy, that was it, buddy. Yeah, that was it. This one, though. Okay. Cool, cool. No, that was a nice touch. I didn't catch that. Uh, make her break. Yeah, I'm going with the opening dunk tank scene as well because I think it adds sort of an element of danger. It also is charismatic. Uh, it 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 shows a number of things and illustrates a number of things that 
we see about that life. There is a, a, a hint of danger and uh, there's a charm to it and allure, yeah, right? Yeah. It's a really good scene and it gives it Busey a chance to kind of freewheel and, and show off his uh, his uh, chops, yep, right? So yep. he's good. My MVT, I like Robertson a lot more than you guys. I think he's fantastic in the film and he's perfect in the role. I love the Robertson-Busey relationship. That's my MVT. I just think um, if we had have had two leads that were less likable for me, um, it's, it would have been an interesting film, certainly, but uh, I think it's really anchored by them in a, in a sea of interesting people. I, I did really get behind that. I was engaged by their relationship and the strain that's put on it by this this third wheel. Right. Uh, my score is higher than Noel. Uh, the Old Prince is there. It's a 7.5 out of 10, true to our usual uh, form. I, I quite like this one. I think it's a really underappreciated gem of late 70s, early 80s American film. Yeah. I'll always champion this one. Yeah. Cool. My um, make or break. I really like that scene too that you guys are talking about because of all the kind of little carny tricks that Robbie Robertson's doing. Um, but I'm going to go with the one where Busey takes it too far, which is oh, also yeah. it's also a bozo scene. It's a crazy clown scene, but at that it point, real, man. yeah, at that point he's kind of emotionally he's kind of going through something. And again, it kind of brings up that kind of thing that Busey keeps bringing up in the movie to get into the cage because it's almost like a cathartic release for him to get in there and to kind of vent his anger and his frustration. It's never really explained except that he enjoys going in there and insulting people and uh, mm-hmm. like he gets him gets something going. Um, my MVT, I, I don't, I, I'm going to give it to Busey. I'm all, I'm hesitant in a way because I know I've, I've probably given it to Busey for something else. Probably Eye of the Tiger or Bulletproof even. Uh, yeah. Those two action movies because he's so ridiculous in Bulletproof. But um, it's hard for me not to give it to him here because he covers the whole range mm-hmm. uh, emotionally of all of, of just a lot of different elements here. There's moments where he seems gloomy and hates what he's doing. There's moments when he seems totally in, caught up in what he's doing and loves it. Uh, there's moments when he's tender with Jodie Foster. Oh yeah, and and Robbie Robertson, and then there's moments when he's a total shithead. Mm-hmm. So he kind of really covers the whole gamut here, and I really enjoyed that performance. Uh, he really, really is good in the movie. Uh, I, I'm 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 on your side with Robbie Robertson a little bit. I, I enjoyed him quite a bit in the movie. Uh, I think he does a really good job playing against Busey's kind of over the topness in this. And he has to be the straight man, right? Like the show needs a straight man. Yeah, yeah. Well, anybody that works with Busey's got to be a straight man because you're gonna oh, yeah. you're gonna get eaten alive <laughs> if you don't. Yeah. Um, my score is just a little bit higher than both of yours. My scores are straight eight. Nice. Uh, I think some of this might be nostalgia. I'll fully admit that for my love of this film. Uh, again, seeing it when I was younger, um, but I've always had a fondness for this movie. Uh, it always felt real. It felt like they were riding through the South. If you look when they're driving that car in that trailer, they're sweaty. Yeah, uh, with the windows down and stuff, and I can just smell like the South in that in that in that moment. I can smell that car, the cigarette with the long ashes. Robbie Robertson does not; a, he's not an ash dabber. He lets it, <laughs> he lets it go. He lets it go long, long and strong yeah. with the ashes, and uh, you know, just little moments like that. And it, it, it felt like the South, and you know, certain parts of the South can be an interesting and scary place. And I think they they do that without being too insulting here. And uh, make it kind of interesting. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I still quite enjoy this film. I would have told you a long time ago, I, I, I thought this was a masterpiece. But going back and looking at it now, 
I there certainly see some some flaws in it and stuff, and it's not it's not perfect by no stretch, but entertaining it definitely is, especially if you're into this kind of cinema, which is more character driven. Uh, okay, that's the big show this week, Carney and uh, the Gorilla Gang Der Bay. Mm-hmm. All right, we know what we're doing next week. Uh, yeah, 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 we do, don't we? Yep. Uh, I, I know my pick is uh, Sleeping Dogs, right? Yep. Uh, that's the New Zealand uh, kind of exploitation film. Roger Donaldson stars Sam Neill. Got Warren Oates in there. Um, should be fun. I've never seen it. Looking forward to checking it out. It's an Arrow Academy release. Looking forward to checking that one out. Uh, and then I think, did Will pick the other one or did Todd? Who, Will yep. pick the other one. Yeah. What you got? Will you got Will? Yeah. So I got one that actually was kind of the runner up to Clute. Uh, one that I a blind spot for me. I've never seen it. I know our friend Uncool Cat's a huge fan. A lot of people are big fans of it. Dustin Hoffman's Straight Time. Speaking of great actors of the 70s. Yeah. Got Dustin Hoffman. And I think that's where he got his impression of Gary Busey because Gary Busey's in there. So. Yeah, so there you go, man. Busey, double back-to-back weeks with some Busey. Yeah, if it's not uh, prostitutes, it's Might be, it might be a trifecta even. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Ooh, wow, yeah. I, I, I didn't even think about that. Whoa. There's, there's worse it? fates. There's worse fates. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd cover everything Busey did up to a certain point. Would that, <laughs> as a piece of GGTMC trivia, would that be the first time in the history of our show that an actress appeared three weeks in a row? Oh, man. I'd have to go back and do some serious research I, to give you that I answer. I'd be willing to bet that, yes, it would be, though. It probably would be. Yeah, I could see it being that. I mean, I could see, you know, we've probably had more than a handful of the two weeks in a row inadvertently, but three weeks, Busey's breaking records. Three weeks yeah. is impressive, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah if, you don't count like, <laughs> if you don't count like triple bills or anything, yeah. Right, right, yeah, if you do like an organic kind of one-off. And I think, but again, that's testament to him, right, and his diversity and his appeal to people like us. Oh, yeah. And I, that film, I'm not giving away what that film we're talking about, the third one, but man, I love him in that movie so much. Oh, agreed. <laughs> he is so perfect as this caring uh, <laughs> character that he plays in that film. He is so perfect. Uh, okay. That is the big show. We'll see you next week for Sleeping Dogs and Straight Time. We hope you enjoyed. Uh, I will say adios. Adios. Adios.